You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 488. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Lake Burton, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 7th of September, 2021. episode, the FAA ground Virgin Galactic pending an investigation into a flight problem. More people die in the crash of a small jet in Connecticut. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, the millionaire's mob. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger and Flight 488 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger Stern. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins in New York City. You're watching the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering and listening to uh, latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining us today from her lakeside studio in South a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper, it's Dr. Steph. Dr. Steph. <laughs> Sorry, I was on the wrong screen and I didn't realize I had <laughs> muted myself. Uh, yeah, I've done this before a time or two. Good to be back. <laughs> Looking forward to a great show. Just a couple. Yeah, yes. since, what, 2015, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I know how the mute button works. Do you? Sometimes. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> Need a well, you know what? Remedial session. Why don't you work on that? And while you are, let's introduce our other co-host for part one of episode 488. He is in his studio... In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Uh, Hi there, Jeff, and hi, Steph. You've been working too hard, young Steph. Uh, No, I'm not there, actually. I'm in the cockpit with an (laughs) F-18. Oh, okay. Well, let's get on with the news. (laughs) Stand by for news. It's a very quiet F-18 cockpit, I have to say. I've got out now. Oh, okay. yeah, But it was quite quiet. Down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Unless you if took the helmet off. If you're, if you're wondering what we're, or he is talking about, you need to watch the video. And you'll see him in the cockpit of the F-A-18 yeah. or F-18. Yeah. Whatever. One of those. Um, but let's talk about the news. 
Um, first item here. We talked about this when it happened. It was a crash of a Navy Wings Hawker. Hawk. <laughs> it's a Navy Wings Hawker Sea Fury. Nick. Say it with Hawker. us. Hawker. Hawker. Say it with us. It's not a Hawker anything. Sure it is. Hawker. Sea Fury. Sea Fury. Okay. It's I a, know a way to get around this. It's, it's a like, Navy Wings Sea Fury. It's not a Jaguar. Jaguar. It's a Jaguar. 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 I give up with you. It's a Jaguar. 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 Oh my gosh, this is going to be quite a show, I think. It All right. Um, according to this article from Warbird News, am I saying that correctly? I don't know. Uh, as we noted earlier this month in our update on the Navy Wings collection, the organization was assessing the future of their Sea Fury T.20VX281, which was involved in a serious force landing following engine failure near their home base at Ulverton. England on April 28th, 2021, or as I like to call it, Ovalton, Ovalteen. Um, (laughs) Thankfully, neither aircrew was seriously injured in the accident with the naval fighter absorbing the brunt of the trauma. However, Navy wings report in their latest newsletter that their insurance underwriters have formally declared the aircraft a write-off. Yeah. Uh, due to the extensive nature of damage to both airframe and engine, the charity has determined that the financial demands of restoring VX281 would exceed the price of purchasing a replacement, which is not economically viable for the small organization to consider. Consequently, or consequently, if you prefer, Navy Wings has made the reluctant decision to sell what remains no to prefers. assist with funding the future, as the newsletter states. VX281 will live on, Doug. As oh, that's though, as she still retains plenty of structurally sound material for another organization with deeper pockets to work with in her rebuild. Navy Wings do still have another Sea Fury in their collection, though, this being single seater FB.11 VR930. So the magical sight, sounds, and smells of this type will still be well represented in British skies for the foreseeable future. Uh, furthermore, the organization is now looking into the acquisition of a supermarine or supermarine sea fire, the navalized variant of the Spitfire, uh, as a possible replacement for it. See what you you opened up this this Pandora's box. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, All your, your confidence is shot. My, my confidence there are, there are is yeah. people leaving the chat room in droves. <laughs> Well, to be honest, there weren't that many there to begin with, so it's not a big loss. Uh, with the sale of the T.20 and other assets, this might be a viable option and presents exciting opportunities for the air show attending public in Britain. While sea fires are rare indeed, there are a handful of possible examples available in the UK and the USA. Time will tell, of course, but it is a tantalizing possibility and one well worth supporting. And that last four words there is a link. I have a feeling it takes us to their website where you can donate to GoFundMe, I'm sure. No. Navy Wings. Um, yeah. yeah, navywings.org. Yeah, navywings.org.uk slash support dash US slash donate. Wait a minute, just the U.S. has to support? No, it's supporting us. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> well, you guys got much deeper pockets than us. Obviously. All right. Yeah. Do we, though? Uh, well, I love the idea that they could end up with a sea fire. That would be brilliant because, like they say, they are they are pretty rare. Um, uh, 
because most of them crashed and fell into the sea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's no good. Why, well, why it, did they do the that? The Spitfire was not an ideal aeroplane to land on a carrier because it's got oh. a fairly narrow wheelbase. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's a bit of a thoroughbred. You know, you want something big and clunky, really, <laughs> if you're going <laughs> to plonk it down on a carrier. And the, the Spitfire was hardly that. But um, uh, they, they made it work as best they could. So fair enough. Yeah, something with not? beefy legs. Yeah. You want know, something nice and sturdy. But it, uh, I'm, uh, you know, it's sad that they're not going to be able to repair this aircraft. Uh, we were very pleased to hear that the guys got out safely, and that was fine. They su survived the crash landing. Um, but uh, yeah, like they say, you know, the the, the true enthusiasts who, uh, who want to own a proper warbird with a heritage, uh, they really only need a, a label <laughs> from the inside, and then everything else will be built around that, and they'll call it the, the you know, original airplane. But I think there's probably heaps of uh, material left uh, to create a new uh, version of the VX281 um, so that uh, some fine millionaire can uh, say he uh, is flying the original airplane, which is great. Yeah. There are lots of millionaires out there that I'm sure could. Oh, there's a whole squadron of the cause. Really? Huh. Yeah. Nice teaser for the Nice teaser. Yes. Yeah. Well and there are a bunch of billionaires out there as well, spending all kinds mm -hmm. of crazy money on rockets. Yeah. And well, speaking nice of that, there, what a great segue. Segway, segue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our next item in the news, uh, the FAA grounds Virgin Galactic spacecraft. The Branson Launch Investigation. Dun, dun, dun. This is from CNBC.com. Uh, the Federal Admin Aviation Administration, the FAA, grounded Virgin Galactic on Thursday as the federal regulator investigates the company's previous spaceflight that carried founder Richard Branson. Oh, wait a minute. Is this the one where I'm going to read the other article? The yes. The second one, yes. Okay. Uh, during the historic space flight of Sir Richard Branson in July, near the end of the burn of the burn of the VSS Unity spacecraft's engine, a red ooh, I have a Unity on order, a leisure travel van Unity, a little bit different though. Huh? Um, never huh? Mind. That's <laughs> the name. That's the name of the certain. RV that I have on order. Oh, oh, are you going to um, paint it? Paint it red and write virgin all over it. Of course. And is the FAA going to um, ground you? Ground yeah. you, for you can't fly in this RV. They're going to be and they're going to be watching closely the lateral confines of the uh, yes. restricted area. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, uh, getting back to the article, um, a red light appeared on the console uh, during the burn, uh, the, near the end of the burn. This alerted the crew to an entry glide cone warning. Pilots Dave McKay and Mike Mas Masucci faced in a split-second decision. Kill the rocket motor or take immediate action to address their trajectory problem. This scenario is outlined in a new report by Nicholas, Nicholas Schmidl, a writer with more insight into Virgin Galactic than any other journalist in The New Yorker. For his recently published book, Test Gods, Schmidl had unparalleled access to Virgin Galactic and its pilots. And by the way, I'm reading this article from Ars Technica. Okay. Um, here's a quote from Schmidl's book. I once sat in on a meeting in 2015 during which the pilots on the July 11th mission and others discussed procedures for responding to an entry glide cone warning. Uh, CJ Sturkow, 
a former Marine and NASA astronaut said that a yellow light should scare the SH blank blank out of you because when it turns red, it's going to be too late. And that's exactly what they saw during this, this flight with uh, Richard Branson on board. As they accelerated to Mach 3 in July, the pilots knew that if they cut the motor, VSS Unity would not climb above 80 kilometers and that the founder of Virgin Galactic, Branson, would not beat Jeff Bezos. Bezos? Bezos? You say tomato, I say tomato. To space. Depends Cutting the on motor. your accent, I think. Pardon? I said depends on your accent. I oh, think. I guess it does, yeah. I'm going to say <laughs> Jeff Bezos. Uh, there you go. Don't start again, right? Uh, cutting the motor would be an embarrassment for the company and its founder. They did not abort. Instead, they attempted to get the vehicle back on a safe upward trajectory so that it would be in position to safely glide back to the runway in New Mexico. The pilot succeeded, and Branson's flight landed safely. However, in doing so, Unity flew outside of its designated airspace for 1 minute 42 seconds. That may not sound like much time, but it's more than 10% of its flight after being dropped from a carrier aircraft. A Virgin Galactic spokesperson acknowledged that the company did not initially notify the Federal Aviation Administration, which is investigating the deviation. Uh, The troubles during Branson's flight come as Virgin Galactic is attempting to prepare the spacecraft for its next flight, carrying several members of the Italian Air Force later this month. It's not clear to what extent the FAA investigation might affect that timeline. Um... Let's see. The difficulties also highlight the analog nature of VSS Unity's spaceflight, which relies heavily on the skill of its pilots as opposed to the automated launch and control systems of Blue Origin's New Shepard vehicle or SpaceX's Orbital Crew Dragon capsule. The publicly traded company has told investors it plans to conduct more than 100 flights a year to become profitable. Virgin Galactic officials told Schmidl that the firm's top priority is the safety of its crew and passengers. Uh, Let's see. As part of his new report, Schmidl also notes that the principal source for his book, Test Gods, Virgin Galactic's lead test pilot and flight test director, Mark Forger Stuckey, was stripped of his flight duties after the book's publication in May. Stuckey played no role in planning for Branson's July 11 flight. He is quoted as saying, oh, oh, no, me? No, I had nothing to do with it. Uh, He actually, I just made that up. He watched Branson's flight from the runway. It was the first mission for which he had no responsibilities after more than a decade on the program. Eight days after Branson's flight, an HR manager booked time on his calendar and then fired Stucky over Zoom. (laughs) I know the feeling. (sighs) Anyway, um, yeah, it goes on. If you want to read the rest of the Ars Technica article, um, I guess the uh, Virgin Galactics, in their defense, they said during this entire flight, they had some representatives from the FAA, like with them seeing all this happening and they didn't say anything. Um, during, they didn't give them a phone number to call. No, they, they, they should have. They should have. That yeah. would have been classic. That would have um, been brilliant. That, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this, it's a bit, um, emotive this, isn't it? So a yellow light should scare the SH out of you the bejesus. because when it turns red, it's going to be turned late. It turned red. So red just means you're flying, going to fly out of the designated airspace, okay? Mm-hmm. So either they needed more airspace mm-hmm. to conduct this flight because the flight was conducted safely. They returned without any problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just, uh, you know, exceeded the limits of 
they cleared airspace that they were to fly in. Now, I, I just need to, I would like to know much more about that, how big the airspace is, uh, what problems there were if they went out of it. Uh, at the altitude they were, who are they going to bump into? So it's Class E airspace up there anyway, above flight level <laughs> Good point. Six yes. zero zero. So, um, I, but I'm thinking I'm, that the, thinking the problem was on the. It doesn't really specify, but it was more. It was on the um, coming back down into um, control, more control there. As well. Yeah, below um, sixty thousand feet or whatever. Yeah, it was, somewhere or whatever that, the limit is. We yeah. should know that. Yeah, flight, it's flight level six zero zero. Okay, is okay. is the upper limit of Class A oh airspace? Right. Then down to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and, somewhere uh, in that I, flight level yeah. 180 to 600, they probably were outside of their protected space, and that's where their deviation was. I, I mean, uh, Virgin did come back with quite a solid um, rebuttal of uh, all that that you read out, Jeff, basically saying that uh, uh, they considered the uh, article misleading uh, and the conclusions uh, um, weren't valid. So, you know, they, they obviously see things differently. Uh, but the fact that they've been grounded and an investigation is underway would indicate that the FAA is far from happy. And I'm sure when eventually they've concluded their investigation, and they, we'll see if it flies again. If it flies again, then, uh, you know, With all due respect to my friends it's- at the FAA, what's their motto? We're not happy till you're not happy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, this was their first flight to that altitude. I mean, we've seen all sorts of uh, rockets quite recently dancing around, hoofing off in strange directions and blowing up. Doing what now? Hoofing off. Yeah, and (laughs) uh, (laughs) how come the FAA haven't grounded them? So, uh, you know. Well, because they don't... they don't hate Richard Branson. That's why. <laughs> uh, but you know, I was I was traveling um, uh, on a recent flight, one hour, uh, one minute and forty one seconds um, off course, and they weren't happy with me either. Just saying. Phone number to call. Yeah, the, I did okay. have to call. Are they somebody. ever happy with you? Yeah, no, they're enough. never happy with me, Liz. You know what? They're not happy with us either. So it's fine. <laughs> oh, really? Um, <laughs> no. Let's see. What, what was Micah? Liz is pointing me to something that uh, Micah oh, yes. is. Yeah. Additionally, they have been grounded before. They have been grounded before for pilot error when they had the crash and the two pilots died. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah, don't don't forget Stucky was uh, was running the show then. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, they did amplify a little bit their thoughts on the FAA's uh, grounding. They said uh, although the the flight's ultimate trajectory deviated from their initial plan. The flight did not fly outside of the lateral confines of the protected airspace. As a result of the trajectory adjustment, the flight did drop below the altitude of the airspace that is protected for Virgin Galactic missions for a short time, 1 minute 41 seconds. So it, it probably was coming in at a lower angle of approach and uh, they mm-hmm. weren't able to uh, stay inside their airspace. Um, uh, the, it's a good answer to that. Go fly from the Mojave Desert. I think it's pretty quiet out there. <laughs> well, I think that's where they were flying, right? Oh, don't they? Uh, don't they fly down or, in this new one somewhere else? Oh, okay. And Mojave is in California. This, this was yeah. out over White Sands, new I think. Mexico. New Mexico. Uh, new Mexico. Yeah. That area. Perhaps, perhaps they shouldn't have left Mojave. There you go. Mm. Mm. There's their the real error. 
<laughs> yes, right. Anyway, I'm sure if Apollo well, had we, done what it. What we would do if we were you is we would have not been in New Mexico. And nobody That's asked us. That's very true, yeah. Which and is, nobody uh, asked us. And I bet the FAA didn't red flag Apollo when they landed somewhere weird. Probably, Probably not. not. Yeah. I'm sure there are plenty of Apollo missions didn't land where they were supposed to. <laughs> oh, well. Um, I'm sure they'll get it back on track in the FAA and, and uh, well, Virgin Galactic will won't. kiss and make up. Well, they won't. But there's only going to be a very few number of people who's going to be really annoyed because I don't think they've got that many people booked. Yeah. The Italian I mean, Air how much does it upset. cost? <laughs> I don't know, uh, half a million, oh, quarter of a million dollars. Yeah, a lot of, like, yeah, a quarter of a million, 250,000, yeah, something like that. Depends whether you want a window seat or not. Oh, yeah. well, Dale, <laughs> I do. Dale's <laughs> asking, uh, does TCAS 7.2 work when the intruder is a rock? I don't know if they have uh, TCAS installed not on that thing. Not much reaction time ADSB. There. Yeah. Yeah. Or ADSB. No. Uh, come on, Micah. You're taking me too seriously again. <laughs> Let's move on. This is a this is a contentious, yeah, yeah. contentious news item, yeah. and uh, clearly the bottom line is that uh, any efforts by the United Kingdom are inferior to the efforts of uh, rockets in in <laughs> the U.S. True. Very true. You guys have the best rockets, except for the Russians, who've got some pretty good. Ones. Well, the Russians do have some nice ones, that's for sure. Yeah. We won't mention <laughs> oh. all the Soyuz missions you had to use to get up to uh, the International Space Station. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Zero one C news. <laughs> Four dead after a small jet headed to Outer Banks crashes on takeoff and hits a building. And this is from dailypress.com. And it was uh, written by Pat Eaton, Rob, and, oh, and Dave Collins. Oh. <laughs> okay. Uh, moving on. Um, let's see. All four people aboard a small jet were killed. <laughs> Stop it, Liz. All four people aboard a small jet were killed Thursday morning when it crashed shortly after taking off from a small airport in Connecticut, officials said. The jet took off before 10 a.m. from the Robertson Airport before crashing into the building at Trump Incorporated, a manufacturing company. Uh, Farmington Police Lieutenant Tim McKenzie said, It appears there was some type of mechanical failure during the takeoff sequence that resulted in the crash behind us. The plane, a Cessna Citation 560X, was headed to Dare County Regional Airport in Manteo, North Carolina. Manio. Oh, really? So I was just pronouncing it like Juan Brown did in his Blancolirio channel, and I figured that he knew what he was talking about. But clearly, I was wrong. I've been there. It's Manio. Manio, okay, mm -hmm. North Carolina, the Federal Aviation Administration said. Two pilots and two passengers aboard the plane were killed. Their names were not immediately released. Uh, they have since been, by the way. The crash set off chemical fires inside the Trump building, government Ned Lamont said. Everybody who was inside the Trump building has been accounted for, and there were no serious injuries. Lamont said authorities were in the process of identifying those who died on the plane, he said there was nothing left of it when first responders arrived. It was just a ball of fire, an explosion, and then the chemical fire fires afterwards. I think they're still trying to identify who was there. Okay, this is earlier, early on in the uh, post-accident investigation, but they have, as I said, identified the two pilots and the couple. Um, Farmington is in central Connecticut, about 10 miles southwest of the state capital of Hartford. Um, Mackenzie said an intense fire burned for over 20 minutes. Uh, Caleb, 
V word, uh, who works near the crash site, said he ran to the scene after hearing a loud explosion and seeing billows of black smoke from the building. I ran straight forward or toward it to see if I could help. I got as close as I possibly could, and the flames were extremely hot, and the fire was just getting bigger, he told WTIC-TV. Okay, so we have a, um uh, overlay, Liz, and the first one of the crash scene, and there's some firefighters uh, putting out, extinguishing the fire from this, uh, pretty much what, what was left. Okay. Uh, what was left of the um, airplane, the tail part, and it's upside down. That's a Cessna Citation 560 X-ray. Um, and then go ahead and put up the uh, overlay. There you go. That's what it looked like before it crashed. Uh, that's a November 560 uh, Alpha Romeo. Um, and um, we um, are going to put a link to the Blancolirio channel, uh, Juan Brown's uh, YouTube channel, where he is done a little bit of um, uh, analysis uh, from the available information. And what was interesting about that, and uh, I don't know, if, um, Steph, if you've had a chance to look at that video. I have not looked at okay. it, I'm sorry. Well, Nick and I did, and we had a little discussion about it, and Rick as well. Um, and the the interesting thing that, of course, in this initial reporting, uh, I guess they did, just didn't have the information at that point. But in the video, um, in Juan's video, they have some uh, photographic evidence of um, some skid marks uh, toward the lateral. First of all, the runway, not a long runway. Uh, It's an uncontrolled field and uh, a 3,600-foot-long runway. Mm -hmm. And I believe uh, the— Many uh, was not very big either, to be honest. I forget. I'll have to look it up and see. Okay. Yeah. But uh, so they're they're thinking that it was pretty heavily loaded, most likely. And uh, I think the the company brochure from Cessna says that fully loaded, it it uh, can take off in three thousand five hundred and sixty feet or something like that. So it's getting close to the limit limits uh, performance limits. But it was you know within the limits of performance for that field. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the, the photographic evidence in Juan's video is showing. Uh, some skid marks that they believe uh, pretty confident about it that are associated with the takeoff of this jet uh, toward the end of the runway. And uh, it kind of shows evidence of brake application, whether uh, deliberate or uh, inadvertent or accidental, um, and where the ABS system appears to be working. And then as the uh, airplane ended up rolling toward the actual end of the runway, uh, some pretty dark skid marks um, are evident, as well as some pretty big uh, furrows uh, in the in the soft uh, grass dirt uh, before it finally um, basically it, it gets beyond the limit of the runway and the stopway. Not really much of a stopway, but it's about what was it, uh, Nick? About twenty foot drop at the end of the runway to the road yeah, be- it- below it. That's I think about, about that elevation distance and the mm-hmm. car that saw it come over their head said it was about 15 feet above them. So uh, yeah, that'd be about right. And witnesses are saying that the engines seem to be very loud and producing power from what they can determine at this point. So that's the thing that's kind of everybody's kind of stra- scratching their head a little about heads is the fact that there seems to be evidence that somebody or or some, uh, something was putting the brakes on uh, toward the end of the takeoff roll, like in an effort to possibly uh, abort the takeoff. However, it doesn't seem that the uh, the thrust was reduced 
or, and we, uh, as Nick uh, will most likely say, it, it could have been somehow an inadvertent a- application of the brakes. And um, they weren't attempting to stop, but uh, were attempting to continue the takeoff. So kind of hmm. a, kind of an interesting one. It is. I mean, just from Brunkley areas of video, and it, I thought it was a very um, good assessment, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked his comments about the nature of the uh, skid marks, which showed uh, a light skid followed by a little dark patch, which would indicate that that's where the uh, anti-skid was releasing um, and um, showed a, a function of the anti-skid, so that bit was working. Um, and uh, the fact that they appear to be at full power throughout the entire takeoff run, including, uh, you know, the bit, and they, they went a considerable distance off the end of the runway before they impacted the ground. They got a sort of 20-foot, launch mm-hmm. uh, because of the drop off the end of the runway and then impacted a you know about 1500 feet 1250 feet or something like that yeah, yeah where they uh, first hit in, some obstacles. in what probably would have been reasonably open ground but then they careered on and hit the corner of the building which uh, caused the um the, well, the most damage and the fire um yeah so you you ask yourself why would uh, they have full power and the brakes on uh which is uh, something that's almost impossible to explain. Uh, so it, it's down to either a mechanical fault, and most brakes don't fail on necessarily. Uh, it's got to be an odd kind of a failure for the brakes to fail on. Um, or it could be an accidental de- pressure, putting pu- putting pressure on the top of the rudder pedals to put the brakes on accidentally because the perhaps the... One of the pilots uh, might have had his feet in the wrong position on the rudder pedals or might have been tensing up as he saw the end of the runway coming and just applied a, a little bit of pressure unexpectedly. Uh, um, so, you know, there, there's a few things that could have happened. Whatever it was, they didn't get flying speed. Um, one thing I thought that um, he said on that video was that they only had like 350 miles to go. Uh, so he didn't expect them to be carrying a big fuel load. So he thought they would probably have had a reasonable amount of performance available to them, uh, as opposed to, um, you know, taking off at max takeoff weight. So, uh, you know, the chances were they had a little bit of performance in hand and they weren't sort of running it right up to the uh, the limits of the runway length. Um, so I, I, it'll be an interesting one to look at in future once we get a bit more information. I think I'd like, love to know the experience levels of the pilots, whether they were both qualified pilots and operating as a crew, or whether perhaps one of them didn't have a type rating, he, you know, or didn't understand the significance of putting your feet on the rudder pedals in the wrong place. Uh, it'd be interesting. Um, Dale Williams in our live audience says, this goes back into these part 91 business jet ops, zero room for error. If it's part 135, part 121, there are an, uh, there are an additional 40% landing distance requirement added for jets. So, um, and then just because the graph says it can be done, doesn't mean it's safe to be done. Hence why commercial operations add all the extra safety margins. Um, yeah, much higher, um, you know, requirement or level of safety required with uh, carrying paying passengers. And then yeah. I haul boxes says part 91 performance margins are mostly caffeine based. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that's the cause. Well, they did not have enough cups of coffee. Yeah, well, there's no doubt about it that if you're working close to the margins, having the brakes on for a significant portion of your takeoff roll, it's going uh, to make a mess of good. your day. 
Yeah. Uh, not good. I agree. And then uh, we were having a discussion, as I mentioned before the show, uh, and Rick um, was was talking about um, an accident of a Russian jet, I believe. Um, trying yes, to remember exactly what that accident was here. Um, locomotive, right Yaroslavy plane crash. Um, yeah. And in this case, uh, one of the pilots had inadvertently been pressing on the brakes during the takeoff roll. He had some sort of medical issue where he, he didn't have sensation or tactile feeling in his feet. Mm. Uh, now, you know, of course, that's not to say it has anything to do with this particular accident. But, no, it uh, doesn't. But it has an odd parallel. Mm-hmm. That was a, a Yak um, 42, which kind of looks like your old three holer. I know. That's, when I saw that picture, I'm thinking, yeah. oh, it's a 727. <laughs> That's just what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. But they, uh, again, but but the parallels are, are, are really close. Uh, but mm-hmm. that may be, of course, just coincidence. But it yeah. also, I think, turned out that. Uh, there were quite a few anomalies between the qualifications of these pilots and the aircraft they were flying. So mm. I don't think they were necessarily um, entirely legal mm. uh, when they took off in that particular flight. But oh, well. uh, they, they killed a, a rock hockey team, didn't they? Right, the locomotive yeah. hockey team. Oh, right. okay. Uh, Russia's top ice hockey league. Uh, oh, was that that was, one? Uh, I'm trying to re- I That sounds vaguely familiar to me now. I didn't watch the... Yeah link that rick sent but all but one of the 45 people on board died yeah Mm. neil in our chat room uh, gets extra points apg points for uh pointing out the fact that uh, when you're that close to the edge you don't need many funyuns to line up no no just a couple of funyuns will do it and that spoiled your whole day yeah that's no fun yeah and that's not the first time that that's been said okay (laughs) Um, let's see, but I like Funyuns, but maybe there are people that don't, I don't know. Um, moving on, um, British Airways considers a new short haul subsidiary amid the pandemic pandemic strain. This is from the wall street journal. Uh, the UK carrier is discussing putting its Gatwick flying operations into a new subsidiary that could uh, reduce costs and compete better with discounters. And uh, let's see, looking for um, ways to offset the pandemic-induced declines in long-haul traffic. The airline at the start of the pandemic halted its short-haul flying from Gatwick and shifted those flights to its base at London's Heathrow Airport. Big carriers such as British Airways have typically relied on short-haul operations to feed traffic onto the more profitable longer routes, which are expected to be the last segment of air travel to recover. Creating a new unit could provide the airline an opportunity to lower its cost base and better compete in the intra-European market with the likes of discounters EasyJet, PLC, and Ryanair Holdings, PLC. Short-haul flying, led by summer leisure travel, is slowly returning in Europe after being stuck for months well below the recovery seen in U.S. domestic travel. There are still question marks over the extent of the recovery in business travel, said Alex Irving, an analyst in, at Bernstein in London. The customer base longer term will have a higher percentage of leisure travelers than it's used to. So it makes sense for BA to be architecting its operations to compete more for that traffic. Uh, Let's see. A British Airways spokesman said the airline was in talks with its union over the new subsidiary, but that the company wasn't able to comment further while the process continues. Successful union discussions are key to whether the airline moves forward with the plan. 
anyway. I think that has just answered uh, Micah's question. Uh, do they think it's just a means for BA to create an airline where they can work around union requirements? I don't think that's the case, Micah. And as we've seen, uh, because of the laws of the United Kingdom, once you get a certain number of members who uh, wish or do uh, join a union, then the management are forced to recognize that union and negotiate through them. Uh, so, you know, it's it's not exactly a... A, a workaround just to make a new airline. Um, I, they've had one in the past, of course. Uh, Go was the British Airways uh, low-cost carrier. They uh, got a few second-hand 737s and uh, flew them from about 1998, I think, till about 2007-ish, um, when they sort of got fed up with the idea. Uh, it was... Um, Bob Ailings, their CEO, I think at the time, uh, they used to call him the Ailing Man. Um, <laughs> he, he um, it was his uh, child, and uh, as soon as he uh, stood down, I think they got rid of it as soon as they could. So, um, so you, could you say that Go went? Yes, it did. Exactly right. Yes, Go went away. <laughs> um, so th- this will be their second go at make, creating this thing, and of course. They pulled out of Gatwick and said, that's it, we, we've gone, we've gone from Gatwick. Never mind. Uh, yes. And now I think they're, they're going, oh, well, perhaps we could restart. There's always been this two-tier problem between uh, British Airways Gatwick and British Airways Heathrow. The Heathrow people, like, on a, a different pay scale, higher pay scale, Gatwick not. So the second set of class airport, second class pay scales, they've, they've had problems like that in there past um but uh, it'll be interesting to see if they decide to go ahead with this uh whether they can make it work whether the unions will let them uh, british airways is a very strong member of uh balpa in the united kingdom mm-hmm. and um you know they would have uh, a lot to say about um that i'm sure i like the uh, possible name for the new um subsidiary Go again. <laughs> yes. That's from Dale. I think it should be called I Gotta Go. Uh, oh, I Gotta Go. go. Around. Okay, that's what Liz thinks. Go I Gotta Go. Yeah. Go get them. <laughs> go get them. Go F yourself. No, yeah. that's a little yeah. Dale Williams is, uh, is right to say that EasyJet took over what was left of Go. So, uh, uh, so it was Go Easy. Okay. <laughs> okay. Go easy on me. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, so we're going to save the last one. Yeah, for Rick, we're saving the last uh, news item for when Rick and I get together for part two. So let's do this. Let's see if I can find it. Do you want the old one, the lyrics? What do you want? Uh, just the old uh, overlay would oh, do. Okay, got, got it. Thank you, Liz. Yep. Here we go. Getting to know us, getting to know all about us. Getting to like us, getting to hope you like us too. All right. There you go. That is our um, <laughs> our bumper for the Getting to Jeff Know Us segment. The, the Jeff and I show. <laughs> anyway, um, so it's the part of the show that we get together and kind of get all caught up with uh, what has been happening and what is about to happen. With the crew. And uh, who would like to go first? 
I think Nick I wants to, to go first. Hear, I, no, I wanted to hear which end of the candle Steph's been burning this week. Ah, <laughs> Steph. Which Look end of the candle? Straight Both? from the middle. middle. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Been a bit busy? I've been busy. I'm always busy, but mm. I mean, um, yeah, I just, I'm suddenly, I was very tired upon leaving work and I was feeling fine up until that point to so apologize that all of a sudden that's where it decided to catch up with me. Um, so when did we record last week? I don't remember. Not that long so ago. I had, okay, fair um, enough. Was that like Thursday? Thursday? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I had to leave a little bit early. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So since then, busy weekend, just the usual flying all weekend. Beautiful weather. Actually, it was it was really gorgeous for flying and jumping Saturday and Sunday. So I did that all day, both days. Um, and then I was actually really looking forward to, yesterday was a holiday here in the U.S., Labor Day holiday, uh, having a day off and just kind of floating in the lake and having an adult beverage and relaxing and um, had a bit of a unexpected um, trip for family reasons that I had to make to Chicago yesterday. So I ended up on a pretty early flight, um, flights were a little, looked very last minute. I found out I was going, um, or I was going to be able to go on Friday evening. Um, so I booked flights Friday, I think. Um, I forget. Um for the actual holiday. Um, so the flight times were a little off. It wasn't the usual schedule. Um, the usual airline I fly wanted an insane amount of money, which I would have happily paid, but <clears throat> was able to find uh, a more reasonable cost on a different airline and um, similar flight times. But um, it meant leaving pretty early, um, actually a pretty early return too, which I didn't really want to do, but there were no nonstop flights back from the Chicago area to Charlotte after um about 4.30 in the afternoon, which was odd. Um, There were later flights, but they involved multiple stops, and I didn't get back to like midnight, and I just couldn't do that with having to work today. Um, So I I came back, I think my flight left 3.25 yesterday afternoon, Um, and just me trying to maximize time with family, and um, I cut that one a little bit close, getting back to the the airport. What? that's so like unlike all. you so normally i do cut it a bit close uh, anyway i mm-hmm. uh, prefer to do that but this one i was sitting in the uh shuttle from the rental car facility back to the airport as the flight is already i'm getting the notification that the flight's boarding <laughs> oh ouch and i had this thought i was like wow i might actually miss this one and that would be bad because there are no more flights from this particular airport that would get me to the charlotte area uh this evening so um no i worked out i was at the gate a good 15 minutes before the flight left plenty, plenty of time. How do you get through security and everything so quickly? I mean, so security actually took a few minutes. I probably was in line for five minutes, seven minutes. Um, I didn't have anything with me. That was the good part. I had no bags, nothing. I had my phone, my wallet, and a charger for my oh, phone. She had a wallet. Yes. I, if I was a security I, guy, I'd instantly go, uh, you need to go through secondary <laughs> security. I'm sorry. No, no one no one said anything. No flags were raised. Um, and uh, yeah, I didn't even have my jacket with me anymore because um, part of the reason why I was so late getting back to the airport, I was, you know, as it is when a lot of family gets together, you're like, okay, time for me to leave. Got to go to the airport. And then you spend the next 30 minutes saying goodbyes to Goodbye. everyone. Mm-hmm. And then you're running. No, very I really late. have to go. <laughs> I, no, really, I had to go 30 minutes ago, and now I'm probably going to miss my flight. Um, uh, yeah, it just it just kind of made for um, longer day than than I planned, but it was it was good. I needed to go, and it was it was a 
a worthwhile um, thing to do. Very necessary. So, um, but yeah, then back right back to work today. Busy day. I think I had twenty two patients today, mm. or something like that. Um, yeah, a couple so of just, hours. Just Those backs wow. to stab. Yeah, fifteen of them, I think. Um, cool. Yikes. Yeah. So it was just you know busy, steady, busy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I had planned on a, a bit of a rest day, and I didn't get my rest day. <laughs> Mm. which I'm not complaining about, not complaining at all. It was, you know, there's things you have to do in life and yeah, but yep. I am a little bit tired today. Well, maybe so you about, can catch up. Uh, yeah, maybe. Probably ketchup? not. Catch up. Yeah. It's that stuff that you put on French fries. Yeah. That's going to catch up. Probably have some in the pantry. I might. Maybe. Um, all right. Anything yeah. else? Uh, not really um, much else to do other than, what you just described, right? No. Um, yeah, it was just, uh, I mean, it, like I said, yesterday was a, it was a beautiful day in Chicago yesterday too. Uh, just very clear, um, nice view of the city on the way in and probably on the way out too, but I think I had fallen asleep on the plane after running through the airport. Um, you know, <laughs> I did sprint. I left like cleared security and thankfully my gate was only like, it was one of the very closest gates to the security checkpoint. Oh, I ran. Lucky you. I oh, ran well. quite quickly and dodged a few people along the way. You know what? She probably got up to the gate and wasn't even out of breath. Uh, not really. I would hope no. not. <laughs> I mean, it was probably 500 yards of oh, running. Good. Not that far. Oh, yeah. What was your time? I don't know. It was fast, <laughs> ah, though. When you're used to, you know, running 26 and miles. I was not, I was not wearing like running no sneakers. Problem. I was wearing like Tom's slip, like slide on shoes. Fair enough. Well done. Well, I'm glad you didn't miss it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Anything else? No, I'm just, yeah, I probably shouldn't be drinking an alcoholic beverage, probably something with caffeine, but I've had several caffeinated beverages today already. Uh, I think you you need to drink more beers. This is as good as it's going to get at the moment. (laughs) Liz, if you can try to dig up some technical um, literature for staff to read. Absolutely, yes. We need that that mint manual to read. (laughs) <laughs> this feels like a different kind of tired, though. It's just a like, oof, like yeah. you need to sit. Yeah. I, you know. yeah. yeah. Well, Nick. Good. Yes, sir. Any uh, updates on the uh, meetup at uh, Fair Oaks? In, uh, uh, no, but I am going to repeat it uh, at the okay. risk of boring everybody. Uh, 25th of September, uh, UK meetup at the Hangar Cafe at Fair Oaks Airport, Woking, Surrey. Um, it's a Four-hour window, 10 to 2, but, um, uh, you know, pitch up any time, really, and leave any time. It's very relaxed, although I am going to um, have a – hopefully, if Neb manages to get there with his audio gear, uh, we're going to have a short um, chit-chat with the plain tale uh, about Fair Oaks uh, because I used to work there, and uh, I've got some memories which you uh, might find amusing or might put a shiver down your spine so that'll be at 12 noon so mention that before and i'll mention a couple of times before uh, we actually have it so looking forward to seeing everyone there um on a personal note uh the bowling season's more or less ended didn't uh cover myself in glory i got a little bit mm. of silver from a pairs match but um was only a runner-up in the um, men's finals uh singles so a bit of a shame there but that's life there's always next year um last night I had fun i was chatting to marcus uh, of omega tau 
And I don't know if you remember, I um, that, that was my very first uh, go at podcasting when he interviewed me, I think, 2015, so about seven years ago, and talked about my time in the Phantom. And I mentioned that I had flown the F-18, and he has done a... Um, in, some interviews about the F-18. Uh, the main chap, of course, is a uh, huge, uh, tall, handsome, uh, ex-Blue Angels um, F-18 driver who's fascinating and has got a lovely voice and remembers everything about the F-18. And then to counterpoise that, uh, he asked me to come on and <laughs> ramble for uh, a short while about my memories of the F-18. Um, so uh, I did that <laughs> last night, uh, and uh, he's obviously going to, you know, have this Blue Angels chap being the interview, and then he's um, the comedic um, <laughs> counterpoise. I suspect we'll see. I'll look forward to hearing it, Marcus. Uh, you're being too produced. hard to being too hard on yourself. <laughs> well, sure I don't you know. I great. was trying to. Yeah, I, I, it was. It's hard, but uh, he wanted to hear some of the F-18s. You know, funny foibles and mm. uh, quirks and quite honestly it's hard because it was a lovely airplane but i managed to find a few uh like the u.s navy pilot that uh, uh fell off the airplane onto his head because uh, someone hadn't lowered the ladder and when you're climbing out of the cockpit you can't see the ladder because it's coming down from uh, underneath the leading edge extension uh -huh. uh, and usually the ground crew bring it out straight away and this guy clambered out and uh, he put his foot down to where he thought the ladder was uh, and oh. let go of the cockpit. And of course, they hadn't put the ladder down. So he cartwheeled off. The, the aircraft fell about 12 feet straight into his head. Uh, luckily, he was still wearing his helmet. Oh, my. The fir that first step is a doozy. Absolutely. Yes. There's a show and title you're, for you're, you right there. You're <laughs> feeling around in midair for... For this, for this ladder. Uh, anyway, oh, uh, that was that was uh, one of many uh, little stories I have about the F-18. Mm. Um, and finally, uh, my thanks to uh, the fine, wonderful, gorgeous, and uh, incredibly uh, smart uh, Canadian who suggested the subject for this week's Plain Tale, our Who's own that? wonderful producer, uh, Liz. Um, so she made this suggestion. Thank you, Liz. She made this suggestion a year ago, and I've hung on to it because uh, I'd already done a Battle of Britain story. So uh, we're coming up to the anniversary of the Battle of Britain, or at least the day is that is considered the day we sell we remember. I just want to say celebrate, but it was a part of a war, so you don't really celebrate wars, do you? Um, the 15th. Uh, so uh, we're coming up to that. So this is a bit of a story about uh, the Battle of Britain. Um, well, speaking and, of, uh, uh, of important dates coming up uh, very, very soon, uh, there is uh, the 9th of September. Uh, yes. no, that's just an also-ran date. No, and that is... As we all as we That's all next ran. birthday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Unless the next one of any note will be seven zero. So uh, until I get to there, let's let's just uh, got a few years, shall we? Yeah, well, I've got a few years to one worry about. And uh, well, no, I'm just kidding. More than that. I've got a, I've got, a couple. I've got about three. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Right, I know how old uh, you are. Really. <laughs> so anyway, yes, we'll we'll worry about that. Um, the other thing I was going to say was, um, sadly, next week I'm not going to be on the show. I'm going to oh. be down in Cornwall uh, with my wife and dogs and we're going to be dancing on the beach. Uh, I don't know if we're going to have clothes on or not. Depends on the temperature. But, oh, uh, okay. 
Send pictures. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, no, we're just heading off for a, a quiet week uh, in Cornwall and, uh, you know, drinking beer, going to the pub and um, to a beautiful uh, little beach, tiny little beach uh, at uh, uh, Trebarwith, so Trebarwith Strand. So if uh, anyone's in the pub out there, I think it's called the Prince William or something, I'll probably be up there most days. But there's very little internet, so, and I probably won't be answering any messages or doing anything other than just enjoying a bit of quiet. That'll be nice. Sounds perfect. It does sound perfect. I'm just, yeah. But I'm going to miss you next week, and I'll see you the week after. We're going to miss you. Yes, we'll miss you. Oh, I'm crying now. <laughs> All right. And my turn, I guess. Um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You wanted Nick to mention about Captain. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Nick, um, we were going to have you uh, mention uh, someone uh, who is a uh, uh, our pal and a lot of other people's pal, uh, Captain. Of course, yes, we've got some fantastic news. Now, those of you who uh, follow um, Pip's podcast, uh, Plane Safety, and also, of course, PTUK, uh, they have uh, Captain Al on there, A320 uh, Captain and um, Type Radio Examiner, amongst uh, many other things, uh, who was flying for uh, Wiz. Well, uh, he got made uh, redundant. He was a contract pilot with them at the beginning of the pandemic. And we've just heard the great news that uh, they've taken him back on. And uh, he'll be climbing back uh, on board before too long. Uh, based initially out of Luton, not very convenient for him where he lives. But it's just fantastic news because uh, we know lots of pilots who've been made redundant. I, One of my great Australian F-18 mates, uh, he's a 380 pilot. So, you know, he's done absolutely nothing since uh, Qantas got mm -hmm. rid of their 380s. However, it does sound like they might be getting them back. So he might get a oh, get nice. be able to climb it eventually, um, but not probably for a year or two even. Uh, anyway, mm. good news, Captain Al. Uh, we wish you well and uh, enjoy your return to the flight deck and getting back in the air. Uh, so, um, yeah, fantastic. Uh, and well done for keeping it together. You're such a, um, a positive character, Al. And, you know, it's been an incredibly difficult time for everyone who's suffered during the pandemic. But for those who've had their incomes cleaved apart uh, because they've lost their jobs and have been desperately trying to get back into it, we understand how hard it's been. So well done, Al. Yes. Big yes. round of applause Fantastic. for that great news. Way to go, Captain So happy Al. to hear it. Yeah. Truly. All right. Um, this upcoming Saturday will be the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks on 9-11 in 2001. I think I have that right, correct? 2021? Correct. Yes. 20. Okay. September 11th. 20. Um, so just kind of keep that in mind. Um, and uh, we're, we're not going to do any kind of a special program on that. We have done that in the past, but uh, it's just hard to believe that it's already been 20 years since that occurred. I know. The, the events are just so fresh in my mind that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I find it hard to realize so much time has gone by. Yep. I think that's probably true for almost everyone who is old enough to remember. And there are probably some people listening, watching the show uh, that weren't even born when this mm -hmm. happened. Yeah. 
So um, anyway, um, it was something that shocked the the world, and uh, we, a lot of us can remember exactly where we were and what we were doing and what we were feeling, and it was uh, just uh, an amazing time in a negative way. Let's see. Do we have any, uh, Liz, any updates on the meetup in Fargo from uh, Kelly? No, nothing okay. more. We just know that it did not happen last Saturday. Okay, it did not happen last Saturday. But we're waiting Saturday, for more updates. But we're waiting for more updates. Okay. Um, I leave on a trip tomorrow. Uh, go to Asheville, North Carolina and Dayton, Ohio. And I'll be uh, meeting up, um, looks like, with at least three uh, community members on uh, on this trip I'm gonna meet with somebody for lunch in Asheville and uh, a quick drink uh, in the evening before I'm off to bed for an early go the next day and then on Thursday I'll be in Dayton before noon and I'm meeting up with um, someone for um, a lunch in Dayton Ohio so I'm looking forward to that so and basically you, you're not going to get much editing done right um, yeah well I'll try to get Liz is saying so basically you're not going to get much editing done I'm thinking yeah probably not but I'm going to try <laughs> I'm definitely going to try priorities priorities good luck yeah. with that food drinks meetups. food and drink is definitely the priority I would say that's priority. definitely the priority yeah um, and then uh, on Friday I'll be coming back uh, in the afternoon and I'm um, going to try to squeeze in part two, possibly, uh, right after I return and get up to Roswell. Uh, if not, we're going to do it uh, a little bit later in the evening on Friday. So kind of keep your uh, your Twitter feed and Facebook stuff uh, going and, and refreshing to see when it is we're actually going to be uh, uh, recording part two. Um, but I'm uh, taking part in an evening uh, prayer service, excuse me, on Friday night for the 9-11 victims in commemoration and honor uh, of them and praying for them. And uh, so that rehearsal for me begins at 5.30 and I don't land until just around three o'clock. So it's going to be very tight. So it's likely going to be after the evening prayer service on Friday evening when Rick and I get together and anybody else on the crew who happens to be around and wants to participate. I'll be there. Uh, well, of course, Liz, well, you have to be there, Liz, to direct us. Um, and then um, uh, my, new, my usual singing at the masses on Saturday and Sunday, and uh, that's it for me. Uh, and then next week, I don't even have anything planned as far as or on my schedule for flying. I'm not sure if I'm going to pick something up or not. Probably not. A lot of work to do at the house in Roswell. Um and um, finally, before we move on to feedback uh, and coffee fund and all that kind of stuff, I'd like to uh, share, I meant to put this as a an overlay, and I neglected to, so let me do this instead. And uh, this is the artwork from our last episode, uh, the 487 cover art. There's a APG 487. The title of the show was APG Gone South. <laughs> And if you have uh, listened to the episode, you'll know why we named it that and why uh, Nick chose that as a, an airplane heading south. <laughs> um, that was a lot. Of, we had a lot of fun. Well, I did at least. Anyway. I think it we was, had fun. It was a great one. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, brilliant artwork. Uh, it's a, there's an old uh, atlas or map um, drawing or whatever, uh, but it's upside down and an airplane... What is that, a Ford Trimotor? What is that? No. Uh, it was uh, originally a Lufthansa airplane, so okay. I'm Maybe guessing it's a JU something uh, uh, or other. Uh, oh, okay. 
I was going to say maybe a little fucker. Oh, okay. Yes. And uh, there's a little compass there showing, pointing um, the direction uh, in which the airplane's heading, which is south, of course. So very, very nice little play on words there. And uh, so thank you again, Nick, for that brilliant artwork. I didn't have a lot of time for that one, so it was... Uh, a, a very quick piece of work. Oh, no. Sometimes Let, I've got time to tinker and put in all sorts of little Easter eggs, yeah. but not that, not unfortunately, I've had such a busy time uh, yeah. bowling uh, and doing all my other stuff, uh, the plain tail in particular. Well, it has not gone unappreciated. <laughs> Great. Thank you Thanks. very much. Okay. All right. Well, that means that it is time now for the copy fund. If I can just find the app that I use to play this stuff. Okay, here it is. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right. Thank you, Jeff Smith, uh, for singing the APG version of the Java Jive, which is what we play when we talk about those wonderful people uh, who are part of the Coffee Bar Cadre. No, I just messed that up. Coffee Fund Cadre or Coffee Bar Club. And a couple different ways to do that. Uh, one is the old-fashioned way, the uh, classic method. And since the last episode, we have a couple of folks uh, who have uh, used that. Uh, Mazuts Karim, again. Thank you, sir. Very, very generous of you. And Bradley Nunn uh, also contributed via the cafe, uh, cafe, cafe, Coffee Fund Classic method. And uh, the other way to participate in the Coffee Fund is to become a patron of the show via Patreon. And since the last episode, we have a new producer, Brad Nunn. Looks like he changed his mind on what uh, mechanism he wanted to use, so he has become a patron of the show. Thank you, Brad. And executive producer, a new one here, Asmarts, I guess, Asmarts. Uh, so thank you very much for becoming uh, that tier level producer. And uh, also, just quickly, Robert Koble uh, edited their pledge from $1 to $2, so he uh, doubled his pledge, so thank you, Robert Koble, for that. If you want to... Uh, Get involved in the coffee fund. Head over to co- uh, airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. And we will too. Probably more glad than you are. Oops, that's the wrong one. Captain, incoming message. Greetings, fellow APG sufferers. Syndrome sufferers even. Uh, it's Glenn here from New Zealand with some feedback. It's been a long time since I sent any feedback in. We're in the middle of a lockdown, so I've got quite a lot of spare time on my hands. We've gone from one case less than a week ago to now over 100, so it's what happens sometimes. Um, so sick of this virus, of course, like everyone else. I was supposed to go to an air show um, first weekend of September, but that's obviously been canned as well now, so... Hey ho. Anyway, um, just talking about one of your thoughts are on this mad rush to go buy electric aircraft. Um, I mean, that come at DHL and their their idea of buying aircraft that you have to load by hand. 
I mean, it just shows, I just guess, that the... I mean, what is DHL thinking? I really don't know what they're thinking, that they want to go and buy an aircraft that, as I said before, load by hand instead of, like, just getting an aircraft where you can just load with containers like, like they do with the A320 where the baggage goes into the luggage hold in a container. At the other end, they just take the luggage, the container out, swap it for another container, and the aircraft you know, is ready to go. Baggage-wise, I mean the, A, the 737, of course, must must take it must take it a lot longer to load all those bags, and some guy crouched down inside uh, inside the baggage hold, so much more efficient. I mean the Cessna Car- Cessna Courier, I think it's called, takes I think one or two L2 containers, so it's ideal for parcels. So why would you want to go back to loading or conta- um, loading the parcels by hand? But anyway. Um, I guess it's this um, free publicity, a bit like um, uh, United in their supersonic boom jets, which um, I don't think it's ever going to happen. I really don't <laughs> don't see them ever buying those. I mean, they said they're going to buy them, but they've got no money down, and boom, I don't think got the money to actually build the jets in the first place. So anyway, it's, I suppose it's all good publicity for them. Well, they think, I mean, and of course, then they quietly drop the contract and, and boom, just anyway. So, yeah, just thought I'd send a bit of more feedback. Um, very enjoying the I did enjoy Nick's plain tale. Uh, four instructors walk into a bar. The, the one, especially the bit about the, the Canberra and the dummy, that did make me laugh out loud. Anyway, keep up the good work as always. Oh, and hello, and. Uh, T-38s, Douglas. Uh, Glenn out. There we go. Talons. T-38 Talon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Very good. Nice try, folks. Wasn't that... A good comment here. Oh, I-Hall Boxes said uh, 100 new APG syndrome cases in New Zealand. Wow. Mm, yes, yeah. this is a very contagious it's an epidemic. Illness. That's worse pandemic. than COVID. <laughs> And you That's can't get rid of it. need a, a lot of pills. With you. Yeah. A lot of go around a cylinder, I think. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think the, daily doses. The, uh, the, the sewers in New Zealand are going to be absolutely overflowing. <laughs> Just, you know, watch the stomach cramps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> are really, there stomach really cramps uh, associated with that? Yeah. I think I heard Stuff. something to yeah. that effect with, with the yeah. treatment, actually. Yeah, with the treatment, of course. It's not effective yeah. anyway, but... It's like a, also, it's then, a triple Then you also have I stomach think. cramps to yeah. distract you from the actual illness. <laughs> Not really sure what's worse, the syndrome or the stomach cramps. I don't know. You be the judge. You let us know. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was mentioning uh, United and Boom. I thought, wasn't it United that had the contract with Arion? Yeah, Boom's gone. And they're the ones that went under? I don't recall. Or did Boom go, go bust? I think Boom's still going. No, Boom is in theory still oh, okay. going. Yeah. Arion went under. Yeah, Arion I don't know which airline was linked with them, but uh, um, he, he's got a good point. Um, uh, Branson used to regularly um, suddenly come up uh, saying, oh, he'd, he was going to get hold of Concords. He was going to get hold of a bunch of Concords, and they were going to be in Virgin livery, and it would be all over the newspapers. Just uh, never, never, ever happened. BA would never, ever, ever going to let him um, pinch a Concorde or two uh, and uh, start putting Virgin Atlantic on it. But and he tickets only regularly... $50 or 50 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He would regularly put it in the newspapers that he that he was going to. And, of course, it was just free publicity. I, I have a feeling that 
you know, this uh, electric airplane thing. He's got a very good point. It's hardly a cargo airplane. And um, I, I think it's probably got more to do with giving the company a good name than it has to actually being a practical means of moving lots of parcels. Uh, and I feel the same probably about these supersonic, uh, small supersonic aircraft yeah. there. A little skeptical it's a good myself. way to attract a bit of a publicity. Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. agree. Much cheaper than putting an advert if you can get someone to write an article about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and then people might actually read it. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Neil in our chat room, The Cure, they lock you down for a week and make you listen to opposing bases 24-7. Oh, wow. yeah, the that, cure for wow. APG syndrome? That's hard. Well, I think that's just I feel a like cure have for... a different illness. <laughs> I think that's just a cure for podcasting in general. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll never listen to another one. Uh, yeah. Dale Williams says APG syndrome is only cured by a good dose of 100 IBU IPA, and that's the uh, IBU is International Bitterness Units. Mm. That's a, that's a bit much ooh. for me, even. That would be. I mean, a, actually, I know that's a very powerful me. IPA. It would be very, very bitter, strongly uh, yes. hopped, hoppy. Yeah. Yep, hoppy. Yeah. yeah, and we know how much you like guys you like your it. citrusy, fruity flavored uh, yeah, IPAs. The best. Yes. All right. Well, thank you very much, Glenn, for sending in the audio feedback. And uh, by the way, if you're out there and you're thinking, you know. I could do one of those audio feedback things. Uh, well, you can. And you can uh, head over to APG, airline, actually, airlinepilotguy.com uh, slash contact us, I believe, or contact. Anyway, it's on the uh, website menu. Go there, and then there's a link to SpeakPipe. And then all you have to do is hit that SpeakPipe button, button and start talking. Or you can just use your your uh, cell phone or whatever and record using whatever app you have yeah. on there to record your voice, which is actually probably try, a little try bit better. Try not to do it in the windy bit of your walk, yeah. Jeff. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> you have to deal with that. And I don't know what you're talking about. Um, uh, Jeff put out a very nice, and I really enjoyed it, a, a very nice um, crew log for our Patreons. But uh, it was a little windy, wasn't it? The, the yeah, well, Mike it wasn't, he was, I, I, Jeff was windy? No, I was not windy. Yeah, it, Jeff it was, was windy. Very windy. Did you outside. He was talking yeah. out of his bottom again. He'd been taking the go-around as well. You know, yeah, absolutely. You I knew could hear it whistling past. I had a feeling it was going to sound like that because I, I didn't have any kind of uh, uh, headphone or anything, earbud in, so I couldn't really hear what it sounded like. But I just I was imagining that and I even said so when I was recording it, thinking, "Okay, this is." I should have brought the uh, windscreen uh, to pop on, you know, the the, uh, the phone to keep it from being so windy sounding. But anyway, it was a good one. You know, sometimes it happens. All right, um, let's move on to this from Gary. He was, uh, and this is not Gary Surprise, uh, Nick. It's it's. The title of his Gary Surprise. Surprise. Surprise, yes. I, oh, those are really uh-huh. good uh, uh, salads. Uh, the Surprise. Uh, oh, that's Caprese. Never mind. <laughs> I usually listen to the APG YouTube version when driving. Imagine my surprise when I'm driving home from an event and heard my name mentioned in episode 483. Additionally, the following day, I listened to Nick's tale involving the uh, Japan Airlines JAL water landing in San Francisco Bay and related the story to a friend. 
found out my friend may have flown that very airplane as it went to ABX after after leaving Japan Airlines. ABX, uh, what's the that stand for? Um, ABX. I know, but but isn't that actually their name? Um, was a cargo? It's, it's a cargo it's outfit. Cargo, but does it stand ABX? for something? I think it does. I don't know, Liz. I'm, can I'm you? Going. I'm looking. Figure it out. Okay, our staff is working on it. Um, formerly Airborne Express. Airborne Express. Yeah, Airborne now Express. Now just ABX. Yeah. Oh, really? Now they're just just like it used to be Federal uh-huh. Express, but now it's just yeah, FedEx. FedEx. Gotcha. I see. Well, an economy with letters. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, it, it, I was just going to say, say it, ABEX. Uh, <laughs> or ABEX. It yeah. always amazes me uh, how many people uh, listen who have a personal uh, connection mm-hmm. with uh, Plain Tales sometimes. So, yeah, I, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And thanks for writing in, Gary. It's uncanny how you're able to do that, Nick. I don't know how you do <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's just a natural talent. I expect an awful lot of people out there like airplane stories. Yeah. And if you're one of them and you listen to Plain Tales, love those reviews. Keep them coming. Thanks very much. Always helps. Yep. Yeah. Uh, on the site, if you go to the Plain Tales page, uh, there's information on how you can find it and subscribe to it on your favorite uh, podcast listening software. Oh, and uh, quite honestly, now you for both of our shows, uh, Jeff, uh, you can just uh, both of our shows. <laughs> what am I saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, you just uh, do a search for Plain Tales. It oh, pops up go. in Apple Podcasts and Spotify and everywhere yeah. else. The, the Apple Podcasts would be the one, the best one to leave a review because it's the largest um, mm. percentage-wise of uh, people that are uh, listening to podcasts out there. So and and for the show as well, please, because it just uh, yeah. increases our. A chance of getting other and listeners, uh, new listeners, uh, mm-hmm. because it and being on top of the often. list of aviation yeah, podcasts. Yeah, more importantly, so beating opposing so uh, uh, bases. <laughs> yeah, much more important. No, I mean, it, I think it's over. I mean, it's not even a contest anymore. I mean, uh, they're the number one of all time, all time, all time. All time. <laughs> uh, that's true. Yes, all time. Yeah. Ever since, which means it doesn't matter what we do in the future, they'll still be the number still one number of one. all I know. time. I don't know why we're going to try. How does that work? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Understand. Are they time lords? <laughs> just, just forget it. Don't there's even try. There's something weird about the space time continuum <laughs> and, and air traffic controllers. Well, certainly inside an air, air traffic control tower, there is. Yes. <laughs> Doesn't give you a lot of confidence, does it? IHAL says, though, they were... They were reading from the bottom of the list. <laughs> oh, they had it upside ow. down. Uh, that map in Nick's Now that's were, just yeah, unfair. They were going IHAL south, boxes. not north. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's continue on with Stan. Uh, he says, I'm an episode behind. That's all. Uh, but a couple of episodes ago, I heard that Kelly Kirk was organizing a Fargo APG meetup. I'm in Fargo, North Dakota, uh, into the end of September doing aerial survey, but I'm no slacker. I'm <laughs> just putting it out there that I'm interested. Also, another listener was talking about soft field, short field landings, and it brought back great recent memories from flight training. Hang in there. It takes a lot of time and money, but it's well worth it. Confidently landing on short grass runways has been one of my favorite experiences flying out in the Midwest. Finally, Please give a shout out to the Professional Pilots of Tomorrow, a worthy all volunteer nonprofit of pilots helping pilots. I'm currently a member of the fundraising committee, and we are planning a sweepstakes for the winter with a chance to win luggage and JetBlue tickets. 
The money goes to support our free mentoring services and outreach programs. And the website is T-H-E-P-P-O-T, the P-P-O-T, Pilot, uh, Professional Pilots of Tomorrow.org. And there's a overlay of the Professional Pilots of Tomorrow, Pilots, so pilots Supporting Pilots. And uh, that information will be in our show notes if you're interested in supporting this uh, very worthy all-volunteer nonprofit. That sounds fantastic. I, I love the idea of uh, giving back to uh, the aviation world. Uh, and if you're helping new pilots, I think that's the best place to be, to help people as they start their careers. Uh, so that's brilliant. Uh, I do wonder the combination of getting luggage and JetBlue tickets, because I don't think they let you take luggage, do they, on JetBlue? I think they, they do. do. Do they? Yeah. Yeah. I, I I was joking. Oh. <laughs> How much do they charge? Um, you know, I don't know no, if they're, they're not like not, uh, Frontier not and Spirit. Yeah, and they're not so one of those. All no. right, I take it all back, JetBlue. You're a I think, you, I think if you buy like their very, very like basic fare, you can't take luggage, but that's actually, yeah. or you have to pay extra, but that's oh, pretty okay. much every airline. I thought yeah. I was going to be pretty safe with that snide comment. So obviously not. Lost that snide edge. Damn. Damn. Oh, well. Try, try anyway, oh, below 50%. <laughs> oh. oh, look, and I've been, been <laughs> blotted out as usual. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, not taking away from uh, Stan's participation in uh, the professional pilots tomorrow. That's brilliant. Well done, mate. I think that's yeah. great. Excellent. All right. Um, Tom uh, writes in uh, regarding the woman who, I forgot exactly what episode we talked about this, the woman who said that her plane had landed, in quotes, then went around, one would expect the spoilers and reversers and auto brakes to be armed and flaps full or close to full. So if the wheels actually did contact, they would have to reconfigure everything, making what she experienced a touch and go, striving to remain above 50%. Tom T. Okay. Uh, um, yeah. Oh, no. Below 50%. No, no it's Tom T going down. Yeah, that and we sorry, would still. Sorry, Tom. Yeah, what would you say <laughs> about that, uh, Nick? Well, it's nice of you to make that comment, Tom. But uh, if you go around from a very low altitude and your wheels touch the uh, the runway, uh, the aircraft logic won't deploy all that stuff. So <laughs> don't worry about it. Um, you won't get the spoilers up. You won't get the reverses if you're uh, gone full power because you can only get the reverses if you've got the throttles idle and then pull the reverses up. They don't. They don't happen automatically. Um, the auto brakes will cancel, um, and uh, the fact that your flaps are full doesn't really make much difference. So you can uh, you can go around easily with full flap down. Um, don't forget, by the time you're normally at your landing destination, you're relatively light. So, um, you know, uh, the aircraft has heaps of excess performance. Uh, so this is different to the point at which you have done a landing and started pulling the reverses and then try and change your mind. That is not a good thing to do. Once you've pulled the reverses, yeah, that's, that's it, it. Mate. <laughs> You've committed to a landing. Don't yeah. even think about it. But uh, up to that point, you can just bang the throttles on, and whether you're on the ground uh, or not, you know, everything will can automatically close up if you spoilers have deployed they'll they'll shut and off you go you'll you'll get off no problem 
by the way, when we do training touch and goes, um, we have a, a trainer in the back seat uh, behind us. And in the Airbus, he does help to reconfigure the aircraft during the roll. So after you've landed, um, you don't uh, arm the spoilers for a practice touch and go, and you don't engage thrust reversers, but you just do a normal landing, get the nose wheel down. He says, stand up the throttles. So you push the throttles like halfway up until the levers are vertical. Uh, he, meanwhile, moves the flap to from full to flap three, uh, gives the trim wheel a couple of turns, and then uh, says, go. And as you hit about 140 knots, he'll say, rotate, because there won't be an automatic rotate call. Um, and away you go. Uh, so, it's, it, But that, that is for practice touch and goes when you're doing base training, uh, you know, and you're just trying to get a whole bunch of pilots qualified on the aircraft or whatever. And I do believe it's a little bit different in uh, air transport category aircraft that we're talking about here than it might be, let's say, in a Cessna 150, 152. If you land with full flaps on one of those airplanes, uh, Steph, isn't it true? I'm that, sorry, what did you Oh, I was saying that, say that um, if you were landing in a, in a Cessna, like a 150, 152 or something like that, and you had full mm -hmm. flaps, um, it, it, that would be kind of tough, right, to kind of climb out with full flaps still hanging out and if you have them hanging out yeah i mean so mm -hmm. you go around procedures flaps up carpet in full power but so it's much more critical in that kind of airplane than it is as as nick mentioned in the kind of jets that we're flying air you know transport category airplanes um you know you you put the the power on to a go around thrust and it's not a it's not so critical that uh the uh, drag is the reduced flaps. with the flaps. Yeah. Um, it'll yeah. it'll well, you, you know power. you know climb like crazy. Yeah, a lot more power. Um, yeah. but, you know, part of the procedure is, of course, to also you know reduce the flap setting, as he mentioned. You know, to uh, flaps three in the Airbus, or for us, you know, it'd be uh, going from full flaps to flaps thirteen, something like that, and, then, and that's a percent um, of flaps in the, in the airplane that I fly. So, but. Anyway, get the flaps up in the 172, John McElroy yeah. says. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Bearing in mind, when if you call a go-around, um, you actually say in, in our procedures, go-around flap, that's your call, go-around flaps, and on the word flaps, the guy will bring the flap up one notch mm -hmm. uh, for your go-around to make life a little easier. And we say toga or go-around power, flaps 13. and uh, Okay. And then it goes into that. There's a, a gate in the flap handle that it – it'll automatically catch and stay. So you, that's a pretty cool. positive uh, movement. Anyway, good uh, feedback, Tom. Um, let's see. I think we have... We're going to save number nine. For, uh, sorry, number uh, eight for Rick. Okay. So let's... And I don't and think we have nine. time for nine, though, do we? Um, yeah, we can... Uh, we got about... Uh, yeah, we do. Okay. 20, 23 is the one hour and a half. So okay. So uh, let's go to number nine feedback. Um, Magnus sent this as, Hi, Captain Jeff and crew. I hope you're all doing well. I stumbled on this lovely video with an A340 pilot, which has built his own Caravelle simulator out of a real plane. What a major job it must have been to wire up all those steam gauges to X-Plane. Yeah, you got to do a lot of plumbing because of all the steam, copper pipes and stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, the Caravelle was actually a steam-powered aircraft, wasn't it? I, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't think so, but uh, yeah. Whatever. Sud aviation. Um, let's see. Oh, why don't you want to 
let's see, I'll play a little bit of this video, just a smidgen, and uh, I'll very quickly and professionally find that video. <laughs> I should have been doing this while we we're discussing the previous. Here we go. Okay. Um, open. Here we go. Should be playing right now. Yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Love the music. Caravelle. Very, uh, very 60s. Saturday Night Live. Saturday. <laughs> 60s, maybe even 70s. Yeah. Flycaravelle.com. www707. Hello, and welcome aboard com. this 1960 Caravelle jet, the first short haul jet airliner ever built. My name is Nils Algren. I've been a commercial pilot for 15 years, and as much as I appreciate flying the Airbus, and particularly the A340, which I think is a fantastic airplane, my true passion is for these first-generation jets with game gauges, very little automation, and true hands-on feeling. This is why I've spent four years of my life restoring this cockpit into a fully functional flight simulator. And today I would like to show you some of the special features of this airplane and talk to you about the procedures that are very different to what we're doing nowadays. The first thing that really stands okay, out is so the arrangement of the cockpit windows. If you want to see more, and it's a very interesting video for sure, um, please check out our It takes show. a lot of time and energy and effort to... Four years. Four years. Uh, he obviously doesn't work very hard and gets paid too much. Sounds like I, a pilot. Oh, sounds like an A340 <laughs> pilot to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Anyway. But uh, he was just about to mention the fact that if when you're a pilot on a caravel, you've got a, a, a bar on the window right, right in front of your nose. <laughs> I didn't oh, really? notice that. It seemed that. a little bit... Um, yeah. A yeah, little bit of a design challenge there. Yeah. So yeah. I think, yeah, right, Jeff. I think you, you develop a sort of uh, tilting head so you can see real. Yeah, but is it any different than the uh, current F1 uh, cars with the uh, the halos with the post right there in the middle? Do they have to see Oh, anything? good question. I don't know. Yeah. Yes, I suppose Also, so. and then on uh, the old, the good old Mad Dog, uh, the way the uh, six-pack instrument panel was laid out, I had the uh, primary uh, display uh, on top and then the navigation display below it. And you could pretty much see all of the primary display, uh, but the uh, navigation display, you kind of had to like <laughs> lean over a little bit to the left or the right to, to actually see it in full view. So uh, that was kind of because of the control <laughs> what, what yoke. What was yeah. in the way, Jeff? The control yoke was oh, in the way, that Nick. Oh, damn great big control yeah, yoke. that oh, thing. <laughs> if it's, only. It's not so much of a problem on the uh, current airplane that I'm flying because of the 8-inch the uh, diagonal screens are uh, much higher up, so the control yoke doesn't really block them. So it's kind of a, a new thing for me. It's like, oh, oh I can, can see, see everything. That's pretty cool. Okay. I still don't have so a little no table to pull out to, to eat uh, my first class meal. Of course, we don't have first class meals on the airplane that I fly. Meals <laughs> Not on long the enough. To f I think um, on occasion we've had like uh, Atlanta to Boston and Atlanta, you know, like that kind of stage length. Um, and it depends on the market and with whom we're competing uh, determines whether or not we actually serve a hot meal. And it would only be to first mm -hmm. class. Uh, mm -hmm. Just normally not enough time for the for the uh, economy class to uh, get anything, but maybe some little almonds or peanuts or chips or something. Oh no, those uh, Biscoff cookies. 
Ooh, those are good. I like yes, that. they are. Okay. Uh, Liz is telling me that it is now time for this week's installment of the incredibly popular old pilots plane tales. And this week's episode is entitled the millionaires mob. So take it away. Old pilot. The Old Pilot's Plain Tales The Millionaire's Mob It started as a hot chocolate emporium in 1693, founded by an Italian immigrant, Francesco Bianco, from which it gained its name, White's Chocolate House. In the 1600s, drinking chocolate was all the rage, particularly in London. The recipe was simple. Half a pint of hot water for every ounce of chocolate, two egg yolks beaten in until the mixture frothed, and then could be drunk the hotter the better. This new drink craze was considered a panacea for everything, particularly disorders of the gut, but also consumption, jaundice, plague, and something called green sickness. It was also far from cheap, so it became a fashionable habit for the wealthy to consume this delicacy, and chocolate houses were frequented by royalty and notables alike. The places that served this drink became known for anarchy, licentiousness, gambling, hobnobbing, and politicking. However, the establishment known as White's would rise above this and transition from a tea shop to an exclusive gentleman's club, which became notorious in its own way as a gambling house. Those who frequented it were known as the Gamesters of White's. The club had gained a reputation for both its exclusivity and the often raffish behaviour of its members, being referred to by a famous Irish dean as the bane of half the English nobility. As the oldest and most exclusive gentlemen's club in London, its members have included more earls, dukes, lords, barons, princes, knights, viscounts, marquises, heads of industry and notable politicians than you could shake a stick at. The name we're interested in, though, is that of Lord Edward Grosvenor, the youngest son of the first Duke of Westminster. After attending Eton, Grosvenor took to a life in the military by throwing himself in at the deep end. He joined the French Foreign Legion, notorious for its tough training, but also its traditional military skills and strong esprit de corps. From there, he transferred his loyalty to the Royal Horse Guards as a second lieutenant, before, at the outbreak of the First World War, joining the Royal Flying Corps. His conduct as a pilot saw him being awarded the Military Cross for outstanding bravery. After the war, Grosvenor was in his beloved club, enjoying his favourite pastimes, eating, drinking and gambling. However, he had some challenging hobbies and possessed his own aircraft, although he didn't much like motor cars. 
He actually employed an old military colleague to drive him around in a Morris taxi for two pounds a day. He was, however, adventurous enough to take part in the 1924 Gordon Bennett Balloon Race, along with squadron leader Baldwin in the British balloon Banshee 3. In the same year, he took charge of the British team that competed in the Schneider Trophy held in the United States. The aircraft race never actually took place, as both British machines, including R.J. Mitchell's Supermarine S-4, crashed in pre-race trials and no other nation wanted to take on the government-backed American team with their very fast Curtis Racing biplanes. It was when he was back in White's that Grosvenor had the idea to form a squadron of wealthy, aristocratic young aviators, all of whom were already amateur pilots and members of the club. He reasoned that the RAF needed a part-time air force, which could be called upon in times of need. Since private flying was devilishly expensive, he visioned an elite corps of young men with a thirst for adventure. In fact, Grosner's idea was also in the mind of the man whose vision would create the Royal Air Force, Lord Hugh Trenchard. Also an ex-RFC pilot, Trenchard had already proposed a citizen air force, the Auxiliary or Territorial Air Force. Seeing how this might work, Grosvenor brought together like-minded members of White's to test the waters. The original cadre of officers were picked by Grosvenor, who would become their first commanding officer. He had an unusual recruiting procedure, which started with several extremely large glasses of port, followed by a considerable number of gin and tonics. Apparently, the idea was to ensure that the recruits could be trusted not to partake in inappropriate behaviour whilst under the influence. He also wanted men who had sufficient presence not to be overawed by him, and adequate funds to partake of the squadron's practice of habitual and expensive dining. He wasn't shy of blatant nepotism, setting his nephew as one flight commander and the son of the Lord Mayor of London as the other. Owning an aircraft, or at least knowing how to fly one, was essential for membership of this new unit, as well as, of course, being rich and hailing from the right social class. After all, only an officer could fly an aircraft and only a gentleman could be an officer. One thing should be made clear, however. Grosvenor didn't recruit a bunch of overprivileged fops. With his own extensive military experience, he had no illusions about what kind of men it took to fight a war, and only accepted those who would make the grade. He also looked for attributes other than an aristocratic family, recruiting sportsmen, adventurers and self-made men as well. Five auxiliary squadrons were gazetted, two in London, one in Birmingham and two in Scotland, and Grosvenor took command of number 601, County of London Squadron. They formed at North Holt Airport in North London, conveniently close to their club, White's. 
They began their conversion onto the Avro 504K at a training camp at Port Limp on the south coast, and soon their neighbours, Noel Coward and Sir Philip Sassoon, a grandson of Baron Gustav de Rothschild, opened their houses to the flyers. Sassoon also happened to be the Under-Secretary of State for Air, and he quickly befriended the squadron, which couldn't have asked for a more influential ally. It was in these neighbouring stately homes that the squadron frequently dined with celebrities such as the Duke of York, Charlie Chaplin, Winston Churchill, Lawrence of Arabia and such and the activities of 601 Squadron soon got into the press, who dubbed them the Millionaire's Squadron, although the regular RAF chaps would call them the Millionaire's Mob. Very soon, Grosvenor had penned a symbol for the squadron, a scarlet sword of London sprouting wings at the hilt, which would become known as the Flying Sword. Perhaps by design, he left out the usual ribbon beneath the crest, which commonly carries a motto. But despite this, it was passed by the Royal College of Heralds and made it instantly recognisable amongst the usual squadron crests. Grosvenor soon gained a reputation for being a casually friendly, humorous and fun-loving commander that endeared him to his men and fellow officers. Each man who joined 601 was impressed by his honest, magnetic personality and became devoted to him. He also made a point of ensuring that the many off-duty antics were balanced by a serious attitude to the art of war, as he fervently wanted his squadron to be acknowledged as one of the best. His men loved to hear his stories about the Foreign Legion, and he fostered the same esprit de corps as he had learned fighting with them. Such was his success that in their first year of existence, the unit won the Lord Escher Trophy for the most efficient squadron. Grosvenor was not to see the fruits of his labours, however, as he died suddenly from an illness at the age of only 36. His friend, Sir Philip Sassoon, was given the task of replacing him, a job for which he was well placed. With his political connections, Sassoon was able to ensure that Number 601 Squadron was protected from any major criticism of their activities. He could also offer his pilots a stable of private aircraft to use, and he even built his own flying strip in the grounds of his stately home at Trent Park. Some of these aircraft suffered a little from over-exuberant flying escapades. One chap landed Sassoon's tiger moth on top of a cow when returning at night, and the next morning, on spying his predicament, a friend landed the Spartan biplane, which cost a pretty penny, so close to him that he promptly ran into the back. This was explained away when the pilot blithely claimed that the moth had reversed into him, and, delighted with the excuse, Sassoon paid both bills for repairs. With an air of extravagance, Sassoon led the way with some flamboyant displays of dubious military dress. He had his uniform lined with red silk, wore a blue tie, not the regulation black, and had bright red socks. 
His officers followed suit, and with their penchant for flashy sports cars and the latest motorbikes, the squadron premises soon looked like a concorde d'élégance. The one thing that their new commander couldn't do very well, however, was fly. Eventually, a central flying school instructor was posted in with the sole purpose of getting the squadron commander safely into the air and, more importantly, back again. A popular game was for some of the pilots to get airborne in the two-seat Avro 504 and then change cockpits in mid-air. This was all well and good until one chap tried it with a brand new pilot, and it wasn't until the instructor got into the recently vacated cockpit that he realised that it didn't contain a vital ingredient, a stick. The pupil wasn't game to try to swap again, so he had his first landing unexpectedly thrust upon him, whilst his mentor in the back shouted at him, Christ, I've got no stick! For God's sake, don't crash! Although the millionaires had a reputation for escapades and flouting the rules, they could not have got away with it without being an efficient and effective unit. They were very serious about their flying and fighting, because many of its members had visited Germany and Austria in the 30s and had seen what was growing there. This included the famous American, Billy Fisk III, who had been competing in the 1936 Winter Olympics in Garmisch, Bavaria. It was there that he met a 601 Squadron member, Roger Bushell. Bushell was a barrister at Lincoln's Inn in London, who excelled at cricket, rugby and winter sports. He would go on to command number 92 Squadron, and after surviving being shot down, he would lead the great escape from Stalag Luft III. He was subsequently murdered by the Gestapo. Over drinks, Bushel told Fisk that the Germans must be stopped, and he was convinced that war was coming. He explained about 601 Squadron, and Fisk was intrigued. Shortly before the outbreak of war, Fisk sailed to England, pretending to be a Canadian. As an American citizen, he duly pledged his life and loyalty to the King and joined the Royal Air Force, was trained to fly and ultimately posted to 601 Squadron, now based at RAF Tangmere near the south coast. Recently equipped with Hurricanes, the Millionaire Squadron would soon be in the thick of it, flying and fighting in the Battle of Britain. During one scramble, the squadron destroyed eight Ju-87 Stuka dive bombers, but a gunner put a bullet through Fisk's fuel tank. Instead of bailing out, with his hands and legs on fire, he returned his machine to Tangmere, where medics had to extract him from his cockpit. The aircraft blew up shortly after. The brave American, who had given up so much to fight the Nazis, died in hospital of surgical shock. His flight commander said of him, In all my flying experience, I've never come across a pilot with such completely natural flying ability and quick reactions. His coffin, covered with both the Stars and Stripes and the British Union flag, 
was laid to rest at Boxgrove Priory Church. Inscription on his gravestone reads, He died for England, and a plaque was placed in the crypt of St Paul's Cathedral in London, which states, An American citizen who died that England might live. Another of the more colourful millionaires was the Canadian Sir John William Maxwell Aitken, a second baronet and the son of the press magnate Lord Beaverbrook. Max joined the squadron in 1936 and rose to command the millionaire's mob in 1940. He was a talented sportsman, a university blue at football and a scratch golfer. During the latter part of 1940, a period that would become famous, the pressure on the RAS fighter squadrons was intense. Those like 601, which was based on the front line, particularly so. The pilots were flying from dawn to dusk on those long summer days, and Aitken remembers his air officer commanding, Air Vice Marshal Park, visiting the base. He rode in his logbook. Flew five hours before lunch. The AOC asked, Are you tired? Aitken would move on to another squadron, but not before he was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross. At the end of the war, he would have been mentioned in dispatches, added the Distinguished Service Order, and would be an ace with 16 kills outright and one shared. The Millionaire Squadron would eventually change in character, as attrition and postings replaced many of the flamboyant members that had initially given the unit the flavour of a playboy's flying club. Replacements were drafted in from all walks of life and all parts of the Commonwealth to cover casualties and promotions. The squadron became as cosmopolitan as any other. However, some habits die hard, and on returning from early morning sorties, Many still made radio calls to their base with their individual breakfast orders. Bacon, egg, sadly only one due to rationing, beans and tomatoes. But the practice really annoyed the station commander. He considered it a misuse of radio communications and demanded it stop. And so it did for at least two days. Tentatively, however, it resumed, and no further complaints were made, particularly when it was rumoured by 601 Squadron that Churchill liked it. Knowing that the Germans intercepted the transmissions, Churchill, apparently, wanted them to know that food rationing wasn't a concern for the fighting forces of Britain. The argument that the part-timers of an auxiliary Air Force squadron couldn't cut the mustard of real flying and fighting was truly blown away by the performance of 601 County of London Squadron, and the same could be said about the other auxiliary squadrons. When, because of budget cuts, 601 was finally disbanded in 1957, the millionaires were flying the Gloucester Meteor, having moved into the jet age. However, more recently, the squadron was reformed at RAF Northolt, its first home, in 2017 as a specialist support squadron. It has the unique role of formalising links between the Royal Air Force and the wider professional community 
such as the Honourable Company of Air Pilots and the Worshipful Company of Actuaries, particularly within the City of London, where it all began. That's some great playing there, Nick. Uh, thank you, sir. Yeah, I've, I have to keep winding it to keep the piano going. <laughs> it's one of those uh, player pianos. Oh, absolutely. I thought you were tickling the ivories there. No, but I, I, I do. I can sing along to that tune. Oh, yeah? we, we know that you know some alternative lyrics, apparently. Uh, I know some yeah, very amusing lyrics no. to that. Yeah, that particular tune. Perhaps. <laughs> For another after, time. Right after the mm. show ends, I think you should say. Yeah, the post-show, um, maybe. I don't know. That would probably still get us kicked off YouTube. but um. <laughs> Well, we get a, the You'd lose your G rating, I think. Is oh, that's true. Problem. Yeah, you can be you can be explicit. I guess we'd have to put an explicit tag on our show if you did that. Oh, well. Anyway, really interesting um, stories there of the 601 and... Uh, <laughs> really oh, amusing. In the, particular, uh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Uh, yeah, in particular, the six hundred one. I know it was more than that, but the, uh, yeah. the get you know the switching cockpits and and finding that uh, the control stick <laughs> <Yes>. wasn't <laughs> there. Uh, wow. That, that, I, I actually ended up buying a book about six hundred one, uh, and uh, th- there were just so many of those stories that I, I just had no room to fit them in and still tell the story, but absolutely hilarious. They were just a bunch of complete reprobates. But (laughs) the marvellous thing was that, uh, you know, when they took to the air, they really were very serious about their job. But they were rich playboys uh, uh, all the other, you know, days of the week. Um, And um, so, you know, what do you expect? Uh, They had more money than they knew what to do with. And the Air Force gave, gave them all these airplanes to play with. So they were wow. having a ball. Yes, yeah. absolutely. But, uh, you know, when war came, they were there and they fought and they did a damn good job. Uh, and, you know, you've, you've got to admire them for that. That's for sure. Did you find yourself identifying with this particular squadron? Liz and I no, were No, because of... I was brought up relatively <laughs> uh, modestly. Uh, uh, but um, I, I'm sure you do because, uh, you know, that American Billy Fisk, oh, yeah. the third, uh, he was a, it was a fine chap. And, yeah, but you're uh, saying that I have no flying skills is what you've, you, you've basically just said. <laughs> Thank you very did much. I? Yeah, no, I don't think I did Because I think Fisk, didn't you say he didn't have very good uh, no, flying skills? No, you, you, you misheard. Fisk was described as... Uh, by his flight commander as the most natural pilot oh, who'd ever been. Well, there was one of them that didn't have. It was to the squadron oh, the commander, oh, okay. Sassoon. Sassoon. The second oh, squadron okay. commander who All became right. the boss of a squadron, but he couldn't fly very well. Actually, he was just landing. He couldn't land. Yeah. <laughs> he couldn't land. Okay. Well, I, I feel better now. So I, I take it. No, no. Yeah. Fly, yes, land, no. <laughs> yeah. No, Fisk was a very brave man. And, uh, you know, I, I admire, I think that. There are only about seven Americans who came across during the or, uh, were there fighting with us in the Battle of Britain, who uh, had to you know risk their own citizenship uh, in order to come across because America was still a neutral country uh, and they had to pretend they were Canadians or whatever, uh, and had um, the American authorities uh, found out about it, they could have been they could have lost their 
right to return home, that sort of thing. So they mm. were, you know, putting themselves not only in physical jeopardy, but they were affecting, possibly affecting the rest of their lives. Of course, as it turned out, you guys uh, got dragged into the war and, uh, you know, all bets were off. They were able mm. to then to go and fly for the uh, um, Army Air Corps. Well, it's amazing no, what a very stories. large glass of port and uh, many gin and tonics will, uh, <laughs> or just gin, yes, will I do. Know, I thought that was great. <laughs> oh, great stories. I loved it. Yeah, I'll have to uh, absolutely, get that book yes. from you. That sounds like an interesting book. Uh, sadly, it's Kindle. So oh, okay. uh, I don't know if I can. Well, then I can, I can get it myself. You can get a Kindle. copy. I'm wondering if that's on. £3.99. <laughs> I'm wondering if uh, that's something that is in the APG library. Tiffany, are you listening? Oh, I don't know, actually. Yeah, we've got to make sure that's in there. Okay. Yeah, it, it would be. Uh, it's a fun read. It's a fun read. Excellent. All right. Well, that was fun. Uh, thank you again, Captain Nick, for that. And eight minutes left, Jeff. Eight only eight minutes left, Liz is telling us. So let's uh, quickly go on, get on with uh, this story. This is sent in from uh, by Jez. Uh, greetings, APG crew. Uh, Texas and Lashock. Oh, I'm sorry. Number I, 11. Oh, I skipped it. I'm sorry. I had already um, preloaded this okay. and I was Whatever thinking we'd want. already done it. But okay, let's do number 10 for Texas and Lashock. Conversation on the Civil Air Patrol. It's a YouTube video. Just wanted to share a little video that came out recently. I've shared tidbits from this channel before. Drachenfell? I don't know. How would you pronounce that? Drachenfell? Drachenfell? With um, confidence. Yes. Oh, That's the way you pronounce it. Yes. Uh, I'm sure of it. Which usually discusses naval history. But this week, the topic was the Civil Air Patrol in a conversation with Dr. Frank Blazik. Um, I'm looking at my naval. I don't think it's got a lot of history. Well, yeah, yeah I think it does, actually. <laughs> don't want to know yeah a history that we really don't want to discuss at this time um okay. a smithsonian curator and historian emeritus of the cap civil air patrol uh, i know captain nick had a plain tale about them a while back but it never hurts to check out other information sources yeah for sure <laughs> you never want to rely completely <laughs> do, do your own research. cheeky rat <laughs> and then he gave us the uh, youtube uh link and we're not going to play this um, on today's show, but it's there in the show notes if you want to watch the Civil Air Patrol video, Civilians to the Skies. Also, I'd like to offer some clarification and correction on my last feedback. There was some discussion of where the MiG at the Battleship Alabama Museum was, and it doesn't look like I have a picture of it. Checking out the official website, it turns out it's a MiG-17, the one that looks almost exactly like the F-86 Sabre. It also turns out they don't actually have an SR-71. It's actually an A-12 Oxcart, the Blackbird's CIA cousin. Anyway, just wanted to clear that up. Clear skies and tailwinds. This is the Texas and Lashock signing off. Very good. Mm -hmm. um, I think we'll wrap up with Jez now. Okay, uh, we're going to wrap it up uh, according to our control room with uh, this final one uh, with Jez, number 11. Greetings, APG crew and fellow APG crew wannabes. It seems like Groundhog Day has come early at the Washington Dulles International Airport. Uh, the Transportation Safe uh, Security Administration, is that right? Uh, Groundhog. Acronyms are dangerous. I know. Groundhog, I should just say, the TSA, Groundhog Whisperer, rescues 
a groundhog at Washington Dulles International Airport. There's a link here uh, from uh, the TSA.gov news press release. Uh, Don't be alarmed, readers from the UK, when the gentleman quotes, I ran him down, he didn't actually run him over. Well, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, Thanks, folks, as always, for keeping us informed, entertained, and educated. Stay safe, Jez. And uh, why don't you pop that um, overlay up there, Liz, if you don't mind, and we can look at our TSA Groundhog Whisperer. Uh, this is um, explosives detection canine handler Shelby Tibbs rescued a groundhog who he spotted scurrying around the airport runway at Washington Dulles International Airport as he finished a round of training with his canine Ducks, a German short-haired pointer. Tibbs spotted the groundhog run for cover and was concerned for the safety of the animal, so he drove to where he spotted the groundhog who, he said, appeared to be suffering under the hot sun. It was really hot that day, and the tarmac felt like more than 100 degrees with the heat index, he said. Tarmac. I ran him down, wrapped the uh, leash around him several times, and picked him up. Tibbs was careful to wrap the leash uh, uh, on the uh, around the groundhog's mouth so it would not bite. Tibbs has a background in animal control, and he has his rabies inoculation, and was very careful handling the animal so as not to harm him. Uh, Ducks stayed in Tibbs' air-conditioned truck, the dog, while he worked with personnel from the Metropolitan Washington Airport's Authority Operations Division to transport the groundhog to a creek just outside the airport property where the animal was safely released. I think he wanted to catch a flight to someplace cold because it was a very hot day. I guess he couldn't buy a ticket, he joked, but he was a very good passenger while we drove to the nearby creek. Wildlife on airport runways are a risk to their safety and to the safety of airplanes and other vehicles that move along airport operations areas along the tarmac and runways. (laughs) Uh, I'd like clearance to get to the runway. Can we use the tarmac? Tibbs said he was glad to lend a help to the lost groundhog. Airport personnel have since dubbed him the Groundhog Whisperer. So it's a nice feel-good story to end with. So good going there, Shelby, for rescuing the uh, the groundhog, which is apparently uh, doesn't curious. have a name. Yeah, does what a groundhog feel good? Yeah. What's that? I was just curious. Does a groundhog feel good? Yes. Have you ever felt one? No. You should. I don't think I want to. It oh, looks like it would yeah. have your finger off. Well, you got to wrap the, the leash around the, the mouth. Through the mouth. Yeah. yeah. Let him chew oh, on well. that. Yeah. Yeah, that one did. How about another groundhog that I might... Get my I don't know. Punxsutawney Phil seems relatively Yeah, they seem pretty harmless. tame, didn't they? Uh, at yeah. least, I guess he just kind of, were... he's like always just being held up yeah. looking for a shadow and seems half asleep most of the time. But Bill know. Murray didn't seem to have a problem with uh, the groundhog no, no. in that movie. Brings me back to a potential show title, Runway Gopher. Okay. That's an, that's an idea. Okay. Well. Runaway Gopher. Oh, Runaway Gopher. Runaway Runway Gopher. <laughs> Oh, oh that so many. sounds even better. Yeah. Anywho, um, that's going to do it for at least part one. And uh, this is the part of the show where we normally start wrapping up, but we're not wrapping up the show. Really, we're just uh, ending up part one, part two to come. So soon, by the magic of podcasting, you'll hear the dulcet tones of Miami Rick. And with that, Wishing you all clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Take care and God bless for now. Until next time.
Cheers. From the cockpit. Bye-bye, everybody. Look who's joined us from his hotel studio in Vancouver, Washington. World traveler, airplane mechanic, Breitling Cognizanti, fitness hound, and international air freight captain. It's Miami Rick. Hello, everybody. Glad to be back. Got a lot of catching up to do. It's going to be another great one. Yes, sir, it is. All right. So let me turn down that piece of music and uh let's see let's just jump into the uh one piece of news that we left for you to discuss uh miami rick and that it would be uh 1e and it is interim report accident omni boeing 767-300 at bucharest on august 28th 2020 left main gear collapse on landing and just to remind you, and we did talk about this on the show uh, right after it happened, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've uh, uh, gotten some, we got some preliminary report action uh, from Romania. Uh, anyway, an Omni Air Boeing 767-300 registration November 423 Alpha X-ray performing flight 703 from Kabul to Bucharest with 49 passengers and 15 crew landed on Baniaza Airport. I have no idea. Is that right? Uh, Runway 7 with all gear struts down and locked, but about two seconds after a smooth touchdown, they suffered the collapse of the left main gear. The aircraft skidded along the runway on its right main gear, aft belly and left engine cowl. Nose gear lifted off the ground because of the fact that it was... Uh, had the left gear left main collapsed mm-hmm. and then they managed to stop it pretty much right on the center line of the runway really nice job by the crew by the way and then we we you know said that when we covered this um evacuation via the slides no injuries were reported at the time so uh the aviation herald um let's see this is from the aviation herald on september 2nd so just a few days ago the uh AIAS released an interim notification stating the investigation's continuing. The outer cylinder of the left main gear had undergone a thorough metallographic examination at the Boeing headquarters in Seattle and stated that, quote, preliminary results showed that the characteristics of the braking surface are consistent with a mechanism for initiating deterioration of the base material due to its overheating, followed by a hydrogen-assisted cracking propagation. Me- you know what? Hang on. I think I have some audio. I know exactly what you're going to uh, Here, let and me I see. Agree. It is produced by the modial interaction of magneto-reluctance and capacitive directance. The original machine had a base plate of pre-famulated amulite surmounted by a malleable logarithmic casing in such a way that the two spurving bearings were in a direct line with a panometric So that's fan. basically what uh, the news is. <laughs> I was reading this, Rick, and I thought all I could think of in my head was that uh, turbo encabulator um, well, <laughs> clip that we have. <laughs> you know, the thing is that eight times out of ten, it is the turbo encabulator. Um, <laughs> no, it's so it's, um, it's responsible for a lot of uh, accidents. I think it really is. Um, so anyway, I guess what the bottom line is: the outer cylinder, the landing gear. I don't know. There was something, some problem with the left main gear uh, cylinder. Uh, is mm. what I'm getting from this, um, and uh, it was not. 
from what I can tell, uh, they're not saying it had anything to do with any kind of a crew action. I mean, the, it wasn't a abnormally high rate of descent no. touchdown or high G touchdown or anything like that. Not at all. Not at all. And and if if the as as this, I guess what what I gather from this is that if if the if the um, structural integrity of that uh, um, cylinder was. Um, uh, I guess compromised in any way. It was just a matter of time until it was, you know, eventually going to fail. Yep. And so, uh, and so it did. Um, but like you said, the you know, the crew handled it beautifully, and it was, you know, around the center line. And uh, uh, the uh, I believe the uh, aircraft uh, did. Did they uh, did they fix it? Did, I'm I believe they did. Didn't not they? Sure, if they said that in the article or not, but I would imagine mm. it didn't look like it had that much damage. No. Oh, uh, no, let me show no. you. Uh, let me share this with everybody, and they can. Uh, we'll, we'll play a little bit of that um, video that uh, some kind of a plane spotter was taking and caught all of this action of them landing mm-hmm. and everything else. Very, uh, you, you can see how skillfully the pilot put this thing down and then reacted mm-hmm. when the left main failed. And let's see here. Okay, okay there it is on short final. Here he comes. Coming in, coming in, coming in. Little does he know what's going to happen. Oh, I know. Little does he know what's going to happen, Liz says. Oh, man. All right. Coming in, coming in. Looks good. Looks good. Starting to flare a little bit. A little bit. Uh, level off. Level off. Bring it down. Come on. Come on. Put All it right. down. Put it down. There All it on the way down. Okay. Looks perfect until... Uh-oh. Ooh. There it is. Yeah. Not that's good. that's when the left main... Uh, and then you see that nose will pop and back up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And but they kept that thing going straight as yeah. an arrow down the road. I mean, it really did. Road. It really did. And at uh, at that point, I mean, you really are just along for the ride. And these guys did a fantastic job. And as as you said, the touchdown was completely normal. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of. Usually, the more smoke you see, the harder the touchdown is. And then I really didn't see a lot of smoke in this one. So, uh, right. Good. So there's the fractured left main gear. That's mm-hmm. a mess. It is a mess. Does it ever look like that after you've landed, Rick? Uh, no, because when I land, both of them look like okay. that. And in this keep case, nice it's only <laughs> one. So, so I, I keep. I try to keep it. Uh, I try to keep it level. So um, okay, but that's just my technique. Um, uh huh. You know, I um, Oh, so. you know what? I think I see the problem that here. Doesn't look. Good. This there, guy there. did something to this thing. <laughs> Who is that guy? Saw, does he have a hacksaw? Like, There's your problem. <laughs> Listen, he's got a hacksaw in his hand. <laughs> anyway, yeah. All right. Yeah. So uh, that's the that's the news on this. Uh, looks like it was some kind of a, I don't know, maybe a manufacturing. It was a bad uh, thing. It was a bad thing. Liz says uh, our expert opinion. <laughs> no, yeah. and just and just you know, just keep in mind the way these things are certified. I mean, you're basically you know you're supposed to be able to land at max landing weight at. Uh, I forget exactly. I'm sure we're going to get feedback on this. What what part 25 FAR part 25 was basically uh, aircraft uh, certification assessed, but uh, I believe the sink rate is 800 feet a minute to a touchdown without a flare at max uh, certificated landing weight. So basically, these things are built to just slam down, no problem. That's um, a high rate of descent. That full. That's a. Uh, Landing weight. At full landing weight. Yeah. And so if um, if um, if the thing broke the way it did, it was and the as we said the the, the landing gear cylinder was compromised structurally. It was just a matter of time until it. Do we it, know uh, how old this yeah. failed? And it did. Was? So um, great, you know, perfectly handled. 
Liz is asking, do we know how old this airplane was? I mean, it wasn't a spring chicken, that's for sure, but I'm not sure. Uh, no, I, I don't know, but it's, it's easy to figure out. You just, you know, plug the, uh, the, uh, the registration oh, in new, um, yeah. Yeah. To, uh, it's November 423 Alpha X-Ray, Liz, if you want to look that up. Four two three AX and yeah. Let me see what I can find. Here. Okay, she's gonna she's gonna see what she can find. Uh, All right. On it. All right. Well, <laughs> would it be okay if we uh, yeah. went to our yeah. uh, getting to know us segment? Yeah. Okay, good. Let's do that. And all I have to do here is find it. Here it is. Oh. Oh. Did you find out? No. Oh. We need the picture. Oh, I'm sorry. She's getting a, she's throwing up that picture. She's not throwing up. No, Here it is. Not, not yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Give her some 20, time, though. 25.7 years old. Oh, it's 25.7 years old. Yeah. Not me. Drinking age. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, uh, so we got all caught up with uh, Rick, I mean, Nick and Steph uh, on Tuesday, and now we're going to get all caught up with Rick. Well, so, uh, yeah, since last time I uh, saw you all, I uh, spent a couple of days at home still. So, uh, you know, just relaxing at home, doing a little prep work uh, before going to the sim, which I, I left for the sim on uh, – go down to Miami on Monday, Memorial Day. So I flew on Memorial Day down to Miami Labor Tuesday Day. early Labor morning. Uh, you know, did my whole routine gym and run and then over to the sim about 1 30 in the afternoon uh, i was there till about 8 30 uh for my biannual um check which is um you know just something that uh, a lot of us have to go through depending on the airline some airlines do it every nine months some airlines do it every six months mine happened to do it happens to do it every six mm-hmm. and then uh just did the whole simulator thing you know um get to practice things that uh, you don't often see on the line and that's the whole purpose of it so um a bunch of um, you know, we had a I don't know, you know engine start issue, a hot start, a you know, starter cutout issue, uh, taxi out to a normal takeoff, um, uh, stall on departure, you know, recover from that, uh, a TCAS event. Uh, Let me guess, uh, maybe a wind shear. Wind shear. We had a wind shear. Uh, we maybe did an engine uh, failure. Well, that yeah, absolutely. That was uh, that was on uh, one of the takeoffs. I won engine failure ah, before V one for what a, a surprise. I know, I know. And the thing is, you know, you, you know that they're going to give you the. Well, I mean, yeah, I I I used, I used to do this as well. I mean, basically, when you when you crank the weight up, and um and you lower the visibility for the takeoff for the runway, you know that that's when that's when your engine failure is coming. That's um, always a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, you're sitting on so, the end of the runway in the takeoff position, and yeah, weight's going up, and the visibility is going down. Going you're going, down. oh, no, here we go. There we go. <laughs> and so, yeah, you, you know, go, go accelerate right at V1, boom, engine blows, and then uh, it's, uh, you know, put the correct uh, rudder input in, hopefully, uh, fly, it, fly, it straight, <laughs> fly it straight, and then apply the procedure, you know. Uh, come back around for a uh, hand-flown uh, single-engine ILS to a go-around, and then uh, the weather magically clears, and then you come back around for a uh, visual approach single-engine. And then the cool thing that we did this last time that I thought was nice, um, that we don't of- often get to do, I wish we did more, uh, was uh, just flying just visual patterns around the uh, w- with the airplane. No autopilot, no autothrottle, no flight directors, just fly it like a Cessna. It was really nice. Um, so, you know, get up to 1,500 pattern altitude because for jets, uh, pattern is 1,500 feet. Uh, and then uh, just basically keep it 
inside of a six mile, um, you know, radius around the airport. Because if you're going to be at 1,500 feet, uh, basically you need five miles to lose those 1,500 feet because it's, you know, three to one, three degree glide. And then the oh, proper on, rate of. Three, yeah, yeah, you, three, two, one. You got to, you got to, bre- you got, you got to break. Okay. Yeah, you got to break. You got to break out the abacus okay. there, and then, and then, you know, <laughs> figure out what the proper rate of descent is uh, based on your ground speed. So you Taking take your ground speed multiplied times five, toes. or you know, take the first two, so 140 knots. So that's your final speed, right? You take the uh, drop the zero, 14, divide that by two, add two zeros to that, 700 feet a minute. So Whew. that's kind of how I did. How'd it. you do that again? I don't think I know and that. The cool, Really? So you take yeah. your you take so let's say your 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 V ref uh, plus five is one forty your your okay. or your because this is based on your ground speed sorry yeah. so you take your ground speed so that's one hundred forty knots you take mm-hmm. the first two numbers yeah right and then divide that by two okay so one hundred forty give me a, so fourteen okay wait hang on don't tell me there you go okay uh, five <laughs> <laughs> umbrella no, is that wrong. <laughs> Umbrella, <laughs> blue. <laughs> okay, so you divide so, it by two. You got seventy, and then, and, and, and then add something. So, to it. so seven and add two zeros to that, seven. and that's oh, your yeah. and that's the and that's the rate of descent based on your ground. Oh, speed I like it to maintain a to maintain a three degree glide. Or you could look at that so, little table there in the uh, in the the plan view of the uh, approach plate. But you, you can't. You, well, I guess you ain't wouldn't be doing that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so um, that's did that. So you know, passed, thankfully. Yay! And uh, I uh, following day. So they had me going back to Ontario to sit reserve, and uh, at I knew that was going to change. So uh, they just um, that very night they assigned me a flight out of uh, Rockford, uh, Illinois. So the following day, this was Wednesday, I flew up to Chicago. From Miami. And then I'll, from Miami, yeah. And then I took a limo from Chicago, from uh, O'Hare to uh, Rockford. It's about an hour, hour and 20 a minute ride. It was mm-hmm. really nice. You know, just right through the country there. Uh, made it to uh, Rockford. And then uh, yesterday uh, evening at 6, left uh, Rockford for uh, Portland. Got in here at uh, 9 o'clock. It was, and it was interesting because we were coming in. And on the descent, uh, we lost the, um, the, the Grand Proximity Warning System. And... Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we had no um, visual representation of the terrain around us. But, I mean, we were under radar vectors, under radar contacts. Uh, yeah. n- none of that stuff was unsafe. But the interesting part was that along with us losing the GPWS, we lost all of the radio altitude call-outs that you get, you know, the, the 2,500, yeah. 1,000, the 500 and all that stuff. And so I had my uh, – it was, it was back to having um, – remember like back in the day when you had an engineer and the engineer was a radio altimeter? Mm-hmm. When you're coming into land, and he, mm-hmm. he called 50, 30, 20, 10, all that stuff. So I had my FO do that for me, and it was it was it was it was good. Um, landed here, came to the hotel, and then uh, here I am today, talking to you all, you fine people. Oh well, we're so happy that you're here with us, so we could hear I'm all happy about to be that here too. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, talking about those um, those flight engineers being your radio altimeter. I always hated it when they when they called out those numbers too fast. <laughs> And I would always say, look, slow it down next time, because that was a hard landing. <laughs> next time, just a little bit yeah, better cadence. say those so fast. And, and I think you actually skipped one of those. And yeah. You went from 50 to 10. <laughs> well, that would be more than skipping one. It would be, yeah, that would be a really bad one. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, but uh, that was always kind of a, a, a funny little thing to say. Yeah, I think you said yeah. that a little bit too fast. No, I yeah. think you were probably coming down a little bit too fast, Jeff. Oh. No, no. Anyway, yeah. well, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, so were yeah, you in the were you in the soup then when uh, you lost the uh, EP? The the enhanced grant proximity warning system. That's it. Uh, yeah. So the the top of the layer. Well, we we, we were at forty thousand feet, and so the top of the layer was at forty, and from from right to, right on top of descent to uh, about fifteen thousand, we were in in the soup the whole way. Oh, that's and kind of yeah. Layers, you're but. like oh, it'd be nice to have that because that is very high terrain around that. Yeah. Portland Airport. But, you know, the, the other thing you can do, the other thing you can do is you can, I mean, this is not, you know, but, but you can use the, you can tilt the antenna and, and kind of see the cumulative granites down there as mm-hmm. well. That's but true. Like I said, like I said, you know, we're, you're in radar contact, you're clearly being um, um, uh, vectored around and, and you are on the, on the uh, arrival procedure uh, mm-hmm. prior to being vectored around and so uh you're and then by the time uh we broke out of cloud i could i could see portland you know straight ahead and i uh, just you know disconnected everything because the, the other thing about portland the ils to two eight left uh the glide slope and it's on it's on on a notum basically says that the glide slope um critical area is not protected and mm-hmm. so you're not allowed you're not you're not supposed to have the autopilot coupled to the ILS below uh, 880 feet because the glide slope does all sorts of weird mm-hmm. things. And so I figured now, nah, let's jump in and see the airport, just call the visual. And I just hand flew the thing in and so it was no problem. So it was, it was good. It used to be uh, good thing. The, good thing I practiced uh, the day before or the yeah. day before that. Otherwise, it could have been a, a terrible disaster. Yeah, it could have been. It could have been. It was a disaster avoided. Excellent. Averted. Averted. Hey, uh, going into LaGuardia, I don't know if it's still that way, but uh, the ILS to runway four at LaGuardia um, has a note that says that uh, from the final approach fix inbound, you have to hand fly it because of that kind of interference with the signal kind of thing. You know what? The same thing in, in Miami, uh, the mm. ILS to runway nine, you, you, you can't do a coupled approach, period. Hmm. For, you just can't, and so I mean, you'll have yeah. you'll have correct sensing. You'll have, I mean, everything's fine, mm-hmm. um, but you just and and the way to get around that is you just ask for the visual, mm-hmm. and uh, you know you just you, you fly it coupled because you're you're, you're visual, um, uh-huh. okay. but uh, but you can't. Yeah, it, it says on the plate there you can't you can't do a coupled approach. Sounds like a technicality there, Rick. It is a technicality. Yeah. All right, taking advantage hey, those... of that technicality. <laughs> Well, that's what we do, though. Yeah, no. Actually, yeah, exactly. All right. Anything else going on? Uh, no, sir. Well, be here uh, today, and then uh, I have a early wake up tomorrow, one a.m. for a no, sorry, one forty-five a.m. for a three forty-five departure down to Dallas, and uh, uh, two hour uh, there while they unload and load, and then on to Ontario. I'll be uh, in Ontario about two uh, thirty in the afternoon. So tomorrow's going to be a it's a two legger, and it's a it's a bit of it's a bit of a tired one, a long one. But uh, after that, I sit reserved the rest of the time. I, I imagine uh, they're going to give me something else to do because I don't home till I don't go home till next Friday. So hmm. um, we'll see. Yeah, they're not going to let you escape. Did you say Ontario? I hope you say yes. <laughs> Absolutely. 
It's it's interesting because that's the very song that ATC plays when I pick up my clearance to go to Ontario. Really? So, wow. Yeah, that that very one. They must be listening to our show. <laughs> they do. I'm sure Everybody they do. does. Everybody does, Liz. Says very sarcastically and snarky. Okay. Um, now you want to talk about Fargo. I do want to talk about Fargo, as a matter of fact, Liz. Ooh. <laughs> and what do I want to say about it? <laughs> Hang on. Let me uh, go over to is it probably something in Evernote or something. That would be correct. Okay. Um, right here, if I click on the right thing. Okay. An update from Kelly Kirk received on the night, September 921. Yeah, yesterday. Oh, just yesterday. Okay. Greetings. APG and opposing bases. Oh, what? He's sending this to opposing bases too. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, an- what is going on here? They're trying to take over everything. Okay, I'm planning a joint meetup for fans and listeners of the airline pilot guy and opposing bases podcast. Uh, Liz, remind me after the show. Let's take. Uh, yeah. Uh, Kelly Kelly's Kirk gone. off the yeah, list. Okay. Yeah. Um, we will be meeting at the Fargo Jet Center on Saturday, October 9th at 12 p.m. We'll be having a lunch at the Shack on Broadway, located mm. near the Fargo Airport. Well, that sounds like a cool place. Uh, with a possible trip to the Fargo Air Museum. This is a family-friendly event. For those, no swearing or cigar smoking. Uh, for those interested in attending, please DM me on Slack or contact feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. Wait a minute. That's our address. <laughs> what, you uh, mean and, those opposing bases people are going to be calling us? Yeah. yeah. All you We're people, uh, all you opposing bases people, make sure you send the email to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. And we promise we'll get back with you. Yeah. Um, and they will relate to me. Okay. If you're flying in, please let me know your tail number and head count. So I can tell the FBO how many tie-downs are needed and the restaurant how many seats that they'll need. Blue skies and tailwinds. And this is uh, KK or Kelly Kirk. And uh, so that's cool. Uh, Many of the people that um, listen to the APG show also listen to, um, due to poor judgment, uh, Opposing (laughs) Bases podcast. Uh, no, it's a really good show. We we listen to it too. Uh, learn a lot from from those guys. So uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. So if you're up in anywhere in that area, or you can get to it in a reasonable fashion, uh, contact um, Kelly Kirk via Slack, a direct message, or again, just send it to us at uh, ABG and uh, feedback at airlinepilotguy.com, and then we'll get it to Kelly. And all that stuff will be in the show notes. Good deal. Great. And I just want to touch on this because this is a good question. As um, our legal thirty one says, "Hey Rick, in op GPWS in your fleet, is that uh, MELable? It's basically MEL. Uh, so the MEL is a minimum equipment list, basically a list of the required equipment for a flight. So you cannot leave with uh, something that is not uh, on the MEL list, right? So, uh, like to, to be to make it, I don't know, obvious, you can't leave without, uh, I don't know." Uh, an engine, for example, obviously it's not going to be on the MEL. So well, you could, but it wouldn't the, be uh, cool. Yeah, it'd be uh, it'd be an interesting takeoff. <laughs> uh, so the Grand Proximity Warning System is you are able to defer that, but um, so initially, what happens is uh, when something like this presents itself in flight, the first thing I do, uh, I go to the DDG, the Dispatch Deviation Guide, and even though it doesn't apply in flight because you're already flying, you want to see what kind of uh, what kind of um, limitations that has, and um, the Grand Proximity Warning System has um, an interval of, um, so there's basically four intervals on, on how 
quickly something has to be addressed um, maintenance-wise for it to be, you know, return to service. And the GPWS is uh, has an interval of A. But basically, A means it has to be fixed on the uh, before the, the the flight can depart again, right? Um, B three days, C ten days, and D uh, you know a, a longer time. Um, and then there's a procedure there. It says uh, there's going to be two types of procedures: O for operating procedure, which applies to the crew, and M maintenance procedure, which applies to, to the maintenance uh, technicians. And the interesting thing of checking the DDG when something happens in flight is to see if it indeed has an O procedure. And this one it has an O procedure, and it tells you it's going to list out all the things that are inoperative. And so I went down through the list. And one of the things uh, that it says that it's not going to be available is obviously excessive deviation below the ILS glide slope because the ground proximity warning system is going to tell you whether you're you're uh, you're getting low or high on the glide slope and how to correct that. Uh, no wind shear alerts, uh, no flap and gear configuration warnings. And then the other one, which is why as part of the approach briefing, I told my FO to call out the radio altitude on landing is because it says here that all call outs will be inoperative. And so uh, it's always a good idea whenever you get any kind of issue, uh, even though the DDG does not apply in flight, to go through that DDG because there may be things that are not on the non-normal checklist that will be there. And it's good to have, you know, just basically as, as a heads up and how to plan uh, your procedure. Um, so uh, that was a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So in, in this case, though, if, if I remember correctly, you said that this happened already after you were dispatched and on the arrival into portland yeah yeah this okay. was this was during this was during the descent and the ddg okay. doesn't apply mm-hmm. once you are you know once basically you are under your own power yeah. um uh, on the way uh ddg does not apply anymore yeah. and what applies from that point on is the quick reference handbook procedure but you're the you're right i mean if you if you have the time you know if you're up at cruise and something like that happens you have time to go and look at it and mm-hmm. even though it's not governing at that point but it might give you a heads up on what you're not going to have right well, let's say, for example, the weather in – let's say you're going into Amsterdam or London and the weather uh, is uh, calling for uh, for Category 3 Autolands. Um, you go and you look at the DDG and uh, Grand Proximity Warning System is required for a Cat 3 Autoland. So at that point – see, that could be a deal breaker because that, 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 that would be – that would make it impossible for you to – perform a cat three autoline based on whether whatever the weather is at your destination so it's always a good idea and we have a tab on our qrh that we can go to if anything like something like that happens Mm -hmm. uh just to make sure that we have all the airborne requirements for doing certain levels of of approaches yeah um Mm -hmm. without having to go to uh we don't call it the ddg we call it the um mel so Mm -hmm. minimum equipment list but uh yeah same stuff. I mean, the way you described it and all the categories and, you know, maintenance and, and uh, operator uh, operations, things that you do or things you have to think about is exactly the way it is at uh, ACME. Mm-hmm. So I must, it must be a standard thing. I, be, I do believe so. Okay. Cool. Why don't you start with number 12, Jeff? All right. Let's go to uh, 12, Rick. We're going to do Our feedback. control room is directing us there and oh this is a good one uh jeffrey uh from uh grand Grand rapids Rapids. grr or grr Grr. uh here's an older video of a fully loaded Aleutian 76 taking off in hot no wind high density altitude conditions and it absolutely crawls off the very end of the runway 
the salty slash snarky commentary by the folks recording the video really cracks me up. Enjoy. <laughs> and now we have actually uh, covered this, I believe, on the show. I, I know I've seen it, and we probably many of us have uh, already seen this. But I, I never recalled seeing um, the beginning part of this, where they're making some really uh, snarky <laughs> uh, comments about this um, Aleutian 76. And uh, so it is definitely worth uh, viewing again and revisiting and all that jazz. So I'm going to go ahead and go over here and hit the thing. And this time I am going to hit video file and I'm going to find. Oh, I used to have that all ready to go, but it's gone. OK, here we go. I know where to find it. 488 and videos. And here we go. Open. Fully loaded Russian IL-76 taken off on a hot, calm day in Australia. <coughs> oh, by the way, this is in the uh, control tower, I'm pretty sure. Okay, uh, the Aleutian IL-76 is getting into position. I mean, he is making sure that every last inch is being used <laughs> on this runway. <laughs> Hey, I, I do the same thing. <laughs> oh, wait. oh, he's talking to somebody else. No, he's talking to these guys. Can you hear that volume? Mm, pretty low. Yeah, I got it all the way as high as it will go. That's okay. They'll just have to watch it on their own. Okay. Because the commentary is what's so funny. The vodka burner is rolling. That, that's good. We can hear that. The vodka burner is rolling, he says. <laughs> Don't do that. I'll shake the camera. <laughs> All right. It's rolling down the runway here. Going to have to go faster than that, Captain. Christ, if I can hear it like that in here. Yeah. This is when it gets interesting. Yeah, you can lift it up anytime you like. Oh, I forgot to warn people. <laughs> well, if I didn't see it, I wouldn't have believed it. That's unbelievable. <laughs> That is unbelievable. He's not over yet. No, it is not. <laughs> it ain't over yet, I think is what he said. I'm right? running out of film. Gee, I hope I've got enough to film the crash. <laughs> 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 I shouldn't say that even in jokes, should I? <laughs> That's, um... Okay, well, that will be worth uh, copying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that would be worth uh, playing on aviation podcasts. Wow. Um, so, yeah, you, if you're listening to the audio only, you definitely have to watch this. We'll have a link to it in the show notes and um, see this this thing just lumbering down the runway. And at the point at which you think that it should be starting its rotation uh, is when the guy says, okay, uh, you can lift off any time now. <laughs> and they're getting closer and closer to the end of the runway. Yeah. But, hey, in all fairness, they uh, – they, uh they paid for the whole runway, so they're going to use the whole runway. There you go. So, they got their so, money's worth. That's it. Yeah. So, 
interesting takeoff, and I mean, there was no room to spare at all. No, it doesn't seem like there was any margin at all. So <laughs> that's a low thirty-five feet. Yep, yeah, it's a low thirty-five feet. Yeah. Do they have that I same agree. rule? <laughs> do they have to <laughs> adhere to that thirty-five foot over the fence rule? Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They have a different way of measuring things, uh, Rob. Anyway, that was interesting. Okay, uh, Liz what? is telling us. Oh, you want to say anything else uh, about that one, uh, Rick? Oh no, no, no. I was just, uh, just. Uh... You know, that's, that was interesting. Yes. Interesting. That's the best word to describe it. Um, and that happened some time ago. So I'm, yeah, I'm sure it's that been around uh, for a while. Yeah. All right. Um, this is number three. This is for Rick. Rob sent in. Is it uh, which Rob no, is it's Rob this? in New Zealand? Rob in New Zealand. Okay. Kiwi Rob. Uh, oh, right there in the first line, if I just bothered to read it. Uh, hi, Captain Jeff, the APG crew and community. It's Rob from New Zealand. Unfortunately, the country here has just been plunged into lockdown over a year of having no COVID in the community. The Delta, or is that Acme, variant has been detected in the north. Oh, I see what you did there. Uh, so the government has taken no chances, and hopefully we can stop it in its tracks Sadly, this has caused the cancellation of one of the bigger air shows here, the biannual Omaka Classic Fighters Air Show. I was hoping to see if any other New Zealand APGers might be attending and we could have a, uh, arranged a meetup. Maybe next year. Or maybe next year? Anyway, back to the feedback. I used to work with a chap who had been a Boeing 727 flight engineer for an Aussie airline in the 80s. He told me that they would find the engines always performed better in the rain. I'm guessing this was due to cooling and increased air density. Not sure if today's high-bypass engines are affected in the same way, but would be interested to hear your thoughts. Thanks again for the great weekly aviation fix, blue skies, and squeaky landings. Rob from New Zealand. And I think the perfect person to answer this question is sitting right across from me, across the country in Portland, Oregon. Take it away, Miami Rick. Oh man, that's a good one. Well, just um, so interestingly enough, you know, back in the day, uh, before the days of you know higher bypass ratio turbofans, the bypass ratio basically is the is the ratio of the air that goes through the core of the engine to the air that goes through the fan. Or that's the basic that's the bypass ratio in a turbofan engine. Before the days of turbofan engines, um, straight jet engines basically have no turbofan because it's whatever goes in and the front goes out the back, had a system called the water injection system. And the reason behind that was to um, lower the temperature of the efflux. And by lowering the temperature of the efflux, or basically the air that's coming out, lowering the temperature is going to increase the density. And by increasing the density, you are increasing thrust because thrust is directly proportional to density, which is inversely proportional to temperature. The higher the temperature, the lower the density. The lower the density, the lower the thrust. Everybody knows that. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I didn't do that. That's <laughs> Liz doing that. And so, yeah, the the the. Just keep in mind that um, uh, the um, JT8s, which is what uh, the 727s have, they are uh, turbo fans. Uh, but the bypass ratio on those is very, very low compared to those newer type turbo fans that we have today. And so, yes, the, um, the fact that, uh, you have air mixed in with water, which is going to bring that temperature of the air down, increasing its density, it has 
most definitely an impact on the thrust being produced by that engine at that temperature. And so, yes, uh, on the newer type turbo fans, um, I imagine so, but not so much because of what's going through the core of the engine. Uh, anytime you bring the temperature of the air, the surrounding air down, as we said, that, that density is going to go up. And anytime you increase that density, the thrust is going to go up. But uh, I think it's less noticeable on, on, on the bigger, the larger high bypass ratio turbo fans as opposed to the lower bypass ratio turbo fans. Um, I wish we knew a 727 um flood engineer um i i I don't know if um we have one of those around it'd be interesting to see if um let's see if i can find my 727 flight engineer certificate (laughs) oh it used to be here in this desk drawer honestly but i just remember now i've already packed that up (laughs) now so it's been a while uh since i have uh practiced my faa flight engineer certificate uh, Mm um about um oh more than 30 years ago been a little wow. while yeah um but uh the jt8d you're right is uh especially that version of that engine uh is definitely a lower um uh, bypass ratio of course than today's mod as as rick said uh but we didn't have uh water injection or any of that stuff on on those jets uh, when i flew it i don't think the 727 ever used the no, water injection it never did i think the no. 707 did but i'm not sure if they oh. had the jt8ds or a, or or a general electric i'm not sure what they had like uh says. the so the 707s the boacs had the rolls royce conways and the uh other ones the pan ams and the twas and all that they had the jt3s ah okay yeah, and so those were those were straight jets. Those yeah. were straight jets, and the interesting and, and the way and the way you can tell that the uh, engine is being is is wider injected is because it'll leave this black plume of smoke right behind it. Um, that's that's one of the telltale marks of um, of wider injection. Well, even that or either that or they're burning a lot of oil, or that would be more of a gray smoke, I think. Anyway, I was trying to make a joke, joke, but uh, it didn't work. <laughs> let's see. The Harrier jump jets uh, had water injection too, only enough water to hover for thirty seconds. Yeah, yeah. that's no good. All right. Uh, just a side note: uh, several people have joined the live audience, and we do appreciate that. And I realize now uh, probably one of the reasons is that very soon another live aviation podcast is going to start recording in about uh, just a little over five minutes. So um, yeah, if you're here with us uh, in the APG part two live chat room, thank you for for uh, being here today. And uh, don't feel bad if you need to go and, and watch the PTUK show. But we're glad that you showed up and were able to say hi. And uh, we'll probably jump over there, too, after we're finished recording, which should be, what, about another 10, 15 minutes, Liz? Uh, about, yeah, 20 minutes or something. Okay. So, there's number, that. Number eight. Number eight, control room says. Um, this is feedback from Dave P. And he says, this is from listener Dave uh, Global X Airlines, which is at Global X Airlines on Twitter, tweeted, thank you to at Aerotelegraphen for covering Global X's Kabul evacuation missions on behalf of the U.S. government. As the only non-military aircraft performing these missions, we are honored to provide 
help to those who most desperately needed it. And then he gave us a link to this from the aerotelegraph.com website. Um, a freshly launched airline from the USA is on the move with its entire fleet in Afghanistan. It is an exception while practically everyone else flies uh, flies around the crisis country. And there are some uh, pictures. I don't know if, uh, Liz, you're popping the uh, overlay. Okay. Um, so we got some pictures here. This one that we're showing on the overlay is the Global X actually on the ramp there at, at Kabul in Afghanistan, I think. That's what they say anyway. They, they only received its operating license at the beginning of August and started commercial flights. Now your planes are suddenly on the move in Afghanistan, an airspace that is currently flown around by almost all the other airlines is used almost exclusively for military purposes. On Sunday, August 22nd, an Airbus A320 and an A321 from Global Crossing arrived in Kabul after several stopovers from Miami. The two passenger planes currently make up the entire fleet of the charter airline. So that was their, their entire fleet. Wow. They are also the only non-military aircraft from America that fly to Afghanistan. Afghanistan. The reason for the unusual flight movements is an order from the U.S. State Department. However, there are not many details about this. In a statement on Monday, the 23rd of August, Global Crossing Airlines confirmed, quote, that the company has made aircraft available to support humanitarian aid operations in Afghanistan. She referred to the ministry for further comments. The airplanes, uh, the airlines, two Airbus planes are now flying back and forth between the Afghan capital, Kabul, and neighboring Tajikistan. I want to, why do I keep wanting to put a D on the end of everything? I don't know. Tajikistan. <laughs> Uh, these are evacuation flights for those in need of protection. What is striking, however, is that the U.S. military itself uses Qatar as a base for their evacuation and subsequent redistribution flights. Of course, this is all in the past. We all know what happened there, and we pulled out our last um, troops on the 31st of August, I believe. And um, it's it's a mess over there. Um Yep. And then it talks about the uh, U.S. activating its civil um, reserve air fleet, uh, CRAF or CRAF. Um, and, uh, yeah, but that was interesting. I've never heard of this airline. Have you, Rick? No, me neither. No, never. Mm-hmm. Never have. Um, and if they they just got their certificate, you know, that's uh, talk about, you know, hitting the, hitting the ground running here. That's, yeah. Uh, wow. Really? So I guess they're, uh, did, did I mention that, that? I think they must be some kind of a charter outfit, all right? You know, with only a fleet of, yeah, it's a charter airline. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dave, uh, for sending that in and making us aware of Global X or Global Crossing. And uh, now we are aware of it, and we'll kind of be looking for more from them. And, and we were going to play 16 again. We played it once okay. before, but we th- there's a question in here for Rick. Yeah, too, so, so this yeah. is something we played on part one, um, but there was a, a part of it that um, made a reference or a question for you, Rick. Um, and uh, so let me set this up again. This is from um, Texas Charlie. Howdy, Captains, Jeff, Nick, and Rick, and a tip of my hat to the true talent, the lovely Dr. Steph and Liz. So we can see Texas Charlie. Where, we you love know, Charlie. He likes the ladies. That's what I'm going to have to say about that. Uh, hope this note finds everyone in great spirits and good health. And he, so this is what he said. I happen to have a friend who is an 
a first officer for a small regional airline out of Oklahoma. He made a voice message. Wasn't tr- too sure how to say oh, it was not this part one was it it was uh, the previous uh, show previous that we show. did this yeah, yeah mm-hmm. on episode 487 um anyway he made a um voice message but he wasn't sure how to send it to us and uh, he said you know he's from oklahoma so you understand uh, so he asked me to pass it on he taped it on an old radio shack portable cassette recorder therefore it's not the best quality but i think you'll still enjoy it I digitized the recording to make it easier since Captain Jeff's snail mail is kind of iffy right now. Yeah, he's right. Anyway, his friend's name is uh, Genki Farkenwithel. It's an old German name, not uncommon in small rural towns in these parts. So I hope you enjoy his thoughts and question. He's a bit country and a great guy. I've attached a photo of his plane copied from their website. Uh, The internet's spotty that far out in the country, so I was lucky to catch the site when it was up. He says, adios, Texas Charlie. So, without further ado, let's listen again to the recording from Ginky Farthenwithel. Hi, y'all. This is Ginky Farthenwithel from Petula, Oklahoma. I fly the right sight and drive the blue water truck for Oki Air, flying out of Garth Brooks International. I gotta say, your show's as fine as cream gravy. It picks me up when I'm washing off the splashback after running the vacuum hose on the poop truck. Now, at Oki Air, we got a fleet of one itty-bitty plane. Bessie's our mom on 737-300. Now, forget glass slippers. This princess wears boots. She's tough, smells like the farm, and a lady in every way. Now, I was listening to an episode a while back and heard y'all talking about layover accommodations, bunkhouse is fine as a custom saddle. I heard lots of good stuff about fancy feather beds and ice boxes full of sandwiches and goodies. Uh, let me tell you about what we got at Oki Air. Our little outfit's too poor to paint and too proud to whitewash, so we gotta squeeze a quarter so tight the eagle screams. And let me tell you a secret. We don't service the fanciest airports. More like an outhouse in August. You don't want to go there, but you gotta. For example, we usually have to do a low flyby to scare the cows off the runway. And since none of the airports we service have jet bridges after we deplane via the air stairs, you gotta watch out for them fresh cow pies. Those things will really do a number on your ropers. Man... After we tie down old Bessie, cause it kinda gets windy on the prairie, and scrape the bugs off the windshield, we take a shuttle to the company layover quarters, which usually is a couple of vans sitting out in the far edge of remote parking. The company always has a nice mattress laid out inside each van, and a big orange Home Depot bucket hanging off of each trailer hitch so we can take care of our bottling needs. For snacks, they usually done stuff the glove compartments with bags of Cheez-Its and pork skins, so we're all set. If we have enough time for our next flight, we might partake in a bit of shine, usually kept in a jar back by the spare tire. When we're traveling with a mixed crew, the ladies take one van and us guys will take the other, but right now we ain't got no gals in Oki Air. For some reason, they don't stick around after the first day but we keep trying to hire more of the fair sex. Lord knows I like to sit next to someone in the left seat who doesn't smell so bad she knock a dog off a gut wagon. Anyway, I got a question for y'all. Captain Rick, 
I know you're as busy as a stump-tailed bull in fly season, but I got a question I think would be perfect for you. Everyone and his dog knows that the Dream Lifter has a capacity volume of 65,000 cubic feet and a max takeoff weight of 803,000 pounds, while the Beluga Airbus has 53,000 cubic feet and 341,700 pounds. What I want to know is this. When a Dream Lifter pilot walks into a bar, do Beluga pilots slip out the back like a politician from a whorehouse? Well, thanks for letting me poke my nose under your fence. We howdy, but we ain't shook. So if and you find yourselves in our parts, be sure to stop by for an ice-cold yoo-hoo. Mama and him would just love to meet you. Golf India November Kilo India Echo out. Wow. <laughs> my, I need to turn my microphone back on. I think you do. All I right. reckon you do. Yeah. So <laughs> you'll understand now, Rick, why we had to, uh, we entitled the uh, last episode, uh, APG's Gone South. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, it's, it's exactly, that's exactly how it happens. You know, you, uh, you walk into a bar with your ropers and then people know you fly the dream lifter and they, <laughs> you know, they do skedaddle out the back door like a politician out of a whorehouse. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's just, and it's just how it happens. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So. He can attest to it. I can attest to it. Absolutely. Rick certified. <laughs> it's a Rick certified uh, true fact right there. Yeah. And I tell, I do, I do miss flying the Dreamlifter. I do miss flying that thing. Well, hey, uh, who knows? Maybe someday in the future you might be flying it again. Who knows? Hopefully. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. All right. So that's, thought that's you would enjoy that. And that's going to wrap it up for today's show and uh so we're going to talk about our wonderful website uh here we go i, be- I better not oh, stop God, doing the uh, <laughs> southern accent again i'm sure it's offensive to certain people and uh you know i don't blame them for being offended being offended um and i'm not making fun of it i just actually like talking with the accent i do too but uh anyway uh so we have this website airlinepilotguy.com where you can find all kinds of information about the crew and the community which is the most important part of all this the community got some merchandise and we have uh, the plain tales uh page where you can find out more information about rick's nicks excuse me uh wonderful plain tales that he does every week uh, no i'm sorry that's not nick that's the uh, old pilot that does that and yep. uh, let's see. Also, ways that you can um, you can on that Plain Tales uh, page. Uh, there's some information on how you can subscribe to the Plain Tales and leave reviews and all that jazz. Uh, we have the APG Community Calendar where you can find out what we're going to be recording, and I usually throw up some stuff about uh, the trips that I'm going to be on uh, for the for each month. And uh, the library. The library. Uh, our uh, librarian Tiffany uh, manages that, and uh, so if you'd like to read stuff, uh, that's the place to go, and so much more. So check it out, airlinepilotguide.com, and we're also on the social media or the social media I like to call them. And uh, Rick, you want to help me out with that? Sounds good. Uh, Facebook page airline pilot guy, everything pilot guy related on Facebook. Also Twitter at APG crew, everything APG crew related on Twitter there and Instagram APG crew. Lots of cool pictures, all APG crew related. And I believe, um, uh, Hillel deals with the uh, other end of the operation here. Okay. Hang on. Let's see if, uh, I think actually, I think he's here. 
Oh, is hey. he? Okay. Hello. Uh, time for Slack? Okay, well, come on over. We expect that. And uh, he's got his towel on. I hope. My, yeah, yeah. Well, he's, he's got that robe on, and he's holding something <laughs> oh, okay. in his hand, and I, I just really can't describe it. It's kind of, I don't know what to say about that. But watch out for the boxes. There are a lot of boxes in here now because we're I'm doing some pack. Okay, he's going to sit down right now here and talk about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Hillel. Appreciate it. I wouldn't go in there for a while, Captain. Okay. Thanks for the warning. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks for the heads up. Yeah, good heads up there. And uh, we also want to say a big thank you to our wonderful director and producer and assistant, uh, Liz Piper, in Toronto, Canada. Yes, thank ma'am. You, Liz. And with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off, and I'm going to wish you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. We'll see you next time. Keep the blue side up. Just fine. Airline, not a guy.